Hey, Chad, Aridonis. What's up, guys? Morning. What's up? GM, GM. GM, anything uh, anything exciting going on, Aridonis? <laughs> Not that I can think of. No. <clears throat> Nothing to see here. Something happening? It's honestly insane just how many things are always constantly happening. And, like, I feel like every single week it just always get, gets better and better, even though, like, you know, price might not always reflect the reality. But, like, the reality is that things just keep getting better and better for ThorChain every single week. And this week, obviously included in that. Yeah, I mean, the rate of things changing right now just feels bonkers, like, just every day there's something new shipping or right around the corner. And now the lending discussion is back on. It's so fucking exciting. Lending. Woo-hoo. I'm kind of thinking wallet integrations. Wallet integrations are top of mind for me. Uh, there are uh, a few exciting ones in the mix right now um there's been some whispers on twitter um but yeah keep keep an eye out for a big one coming up soon um that we're that we've been working on for a while um i think it's gonna make a lot of noise i think it's gonna bring a lot of volume um and uh they're you know one of the biggest names in the space right now uh especially in the in the self-custody space so it is uh very exciting For sure, I just I just tweeted earlier this morning about how uh, you know twenty twenty three is just going to be like integrations galore. You always said early on, and you and I, Air Dennis, talked about this that like the first dominoes to fall in the integration world are the most difficult to kind of you know push over in a sense. They're the most time consuming, the most hand holding, the most you know our, our documentation isn't quite you know as clear in the early days and we don't have as, as, as good as SDKs in the earlier days, but all that's being developed and built and making it so much easier. So like those first few dominoes of the integrations are the hardest ones to push over. And then just everything kind of waterfalls after that point. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. We've spent a lot of time over the last few months, like tailoring the integration experience. We've overhauled the docs. We've uh, built new endpoints into Thornode to make uh estimations for swaps and savers as easy as possible. Um, We've built metric dashboards that we can track. I mean, every day I'm tracking all of the swaps from all of our integration partners, tracking the amount of refunded swaps, uh, working directly with the teams to tailor their integrations to make them as accurate as possible uh, to minimize the amount of refunded and create the best experience for their end users. Um, and we're going to continue pushing on that. I mean, that is that is literally my number one priority. And um, we have a lot of people working on that. And the next six months, I think, are going to be massive. Um, and the other amazing part is that <clears throat> we have, uh, you know, we have all these other teams that are that are get going after integrations. We have ThorSwap, who's absolutely crushing it. XDeFi, Rango, they're getting plugged in everywhere. And slowly and surely, like ThorChain is just behind the scenes. Um, executing those cross-chain swaps. And so we have such a massive like workforce just hammering these integrations from from all fronts. Um, and I think it's going to be kind of like an exponential situation where, you know, we have these big dominoes falling like directly 
for Thorchain, but we have all these other teams that are landing these massive integrations that are just going to kind of push volume through Thorchain continuously. Yeah, I think part of this whole integrations thing is just the legitimacy that comes with the integrations. Because, I mean, you can kind of write off, like, Thorchain as, as as a whole protocol if you're like, oh, I've never heard of that. I've never used it. Like, I don't know where I would even access this type of thing. And then all of a sudden, it's just in your wallet. And it, it's, in, it's in other wallets. Say you you are a wallet yourself, and it's in other wallets. People are, are integrating it. And that's a, it, it's basically a cosign for, for a Thorchain saying, like, the, this is, like, a legitimate swap provider. They, they have, uh, you know, transparent rates, and this is what we recommend for our users. And then it, it, the dominoes are going to fall <laughs> very quickly. As uh, as dominoes do, you know, start start kind of slowly, and then it just knocks over more and more, and then just bam, just all the rest of the dominoes will uh, will fall themselves. And that, that's the future of the UX of Thorchain is accessing it from uh, from wallets or the uh, any any other app. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think like you know, with recent events, just the importance of self custody is uh, you know top of mind for everyone in the space right now. And that narrative is like that, that helps Thorchain so much because I mean, if you're self custodying your funds, what are you going to do to swap? Well, you have to use a DEX and when you want to go cross chain, what are you going to use? Well, you're going to use Thorchain. Um, and so as more and more people use ledgers or use edge wallet or trust wallet, um, you know, that's, that's going to drive the needle and that's going to, you know, again, bring more volume to Thorchain because we are, we are well positioned to be the cross-chain provider for all of these wallets. And that's what we're getting after. Yeah. And we're, and we're the only protocol in the world that actually provides this kind of service. Right. So like we're the, yep. it's kind of an, an obvious, it's kind of an obvious self integration. It should be. Uh, I mean, there's more DEXs coming out into the future that will be, you know, competitive to Thorchain in the sense of being able to do cross-chain swaps like chain flip, for example, and, and Maya and other ones that are coming downstream, but they're they're all like literally years behind, uh, and we have a lot of time to like do all these integration work, and they're going to have to spend the, the time that we spent already on integrations when, when they when after they launch, right? So like we just have this massive, massive, massive edge on the industry. Really, the only ones that that can do what we do, and you know, it's the obvious thing, right? Like if you're a wallet manufacturer. Uh, why wouldn't you want to be able to swap between assets and within your UI? Like it's going to become such a basic feature that if you don't have that feature, you're, you're look, you just look ridiculous and, and completely out of date. And then it becomes like this thing of like, well, you know, you basically you have to integrate with Thorchain because it's like, if you don't, you look, you look like an asshole, right? You look like, you just, you know, look, look like a amateur hour. Right. So it's just, it's such a positive thing. And it's, it's such a strong and, and uh, valued reason to be bullish on the project not because of bullshit partnerships that we see so many times of like, I remember like, you know, IOTA said, well, we're partnering with Microsoft. It's like, all it was, they just had an AWS account. I thought, that was the extent of the fucking partnership. It was such, it was such, horse, it was such horse shit. But this is actually like legitimate, real trade volume. Like, you know, this is, this is fundamental shifting things here, right? So it's, it's such a clear and obvious reason to be, to be bullish on the project. Yeah. yeah. I'll add one thing. I'll, I'd say that in addition to 2023 being the year of Thorchain, I think 2023 is going to be the year of DEX aggregators. 
Um, so as Aerodanis was mentioning, and this is something we brought up in the Rango space, I think either, uh, yesterday or Wednesday. Um, but just like, you know, ThorSwap and Rango and all of these, these companies that are kind of exploring and building out products in the DEX aggregator space, I think are super well positioned. Um, you know, I mentioned on that space that I thought, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar opportunity just for DEX aggregators to basically aggregate all the different cross-chain um, swapping uh, services into one unified API. And we're going to see people not only, you know, integrating directly with ThorChain, but integrating with ThorChain just via being um, integrated with, you know, ThorSwap's DEX aggregator API, for example. Um, and, you know, the, the, the economics of those relationships make, I mean, the incentives are perfectly clear. Um, the DEX aggregator, you know, they'll take basically a, a small affiliate fee and then, you know, the wallet or the integrator, or the person who actually has the touch point to the end user, whether that's a DEX or a wallet, they also take a little bit of a fee. And it's, 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 a, it's a perfectly, you know, sound economic incentive system where everyone kind of basically, you know, is, is rewarded for, for serving traffic and for getting people to do swaps. So I think that pattern is going to come, you know, is going to really, really come into, um, start to solidify in 2023. And we'll start to see a lot of companies that pop up that, um, you know, just do basically that is, is trying to route together all the different liquidity in the cross chain universe. And I think that the way that they're going to differentiate themselves is like who can offer support, but also in some way, like, you know, you, you, it's up to those DEX aggregators to choose what, uh, sources of liquidity they consider high quality. And so people will come to like trust the Rango aggregator or trust the ThorSwap aggregator because those teams can provide some sort of support on that, um, you know, in case some like swaps don't, you know, swaps fail or whatever. But I just think that like them being able to stand apart by like saying like, this is your easiest way to tap into the most, you know, the, the, the highest quality of liquidity with the best prices. Um, and so, yeah, that just seeing that whole strategy take shape for just the swapping side of things has been really cool. And I'm excited to see how, um, more UIs and more, um, maybe we can talk about that today. Some of the, some of the additional UIs that are going to be coming for savers. And then maybe we can also start to talk about, you know, what does lending look like as a product? Um, and I think that's, that, that kind of would segue nicely into, um, into today's discussion. Hey, I'll tell you a funny, uh, very funny short short story relating to that. I just did an interview with Ivan on tech. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. And the reason why Ivan on tech had me on the show wasn't because of like, you know, I, you know, DM'd him or we paid him money or, or, or whatever. It was because he tells me that they're, that he's building a wallet himself with his team, I guess. And he wanted to do like cross chain swaps as part of his, his wallet. And he's like, where do I go to cross chain swaps? Like, Oh, ThorChain. like who from ThorChain can come talk to me about like, is it easy to build on top of ThorChain? Like, is there an SDK? And, and so we had me on, we had a kind of technical conversation about how a wallet can interface with something like ThorChain. Like it just became like, we got, you know, noticed by a big influencer in the space just because of the merit of what it is that we're doing and, and how uh, unique and uniquely positioned we are to do so that's marketing that's that when they ask you to, to to come on because you're actually serving some kind of purpose rather than uh you know all these paid chills in in the space that that's marketing right there offering a service that people want to use and there is good incentive to use and then 
they use your service to, for for their own service, right? Just a bigger ecosystem of wallets and things that'll be using Thorchain as swaps. I just want to say, I thought I think that's a that's a really cool idea. You did that as a Twitter space, Chad? No, I did it as part of his his like podcast YouTube show, or whatever. So the the episode hasn't aired yet. I'm assuming it's going to come out, you know, mm. sometime soon. I don't really know exact dates or anything like this, but it was a really good conversation, and we went into some good depths and technical talk and speak and that kind of thing. And so, it's you know, I encourage people to check it out when it comes out. But it was a it was a good combo, and he's got a you know large following, which, which will kind of can awaken, hopefully, awaken some people and t- take a rune pill and and you know check out what we're doing. Yeah, that's really cool. We should start. We should start like open sourcing those conversations when we go when we talk to people about building products on top of savings or building products on top of swap. If we're even, you know, if they, if if they, you know, if they consented to it, and we could publish like videos basically explaining, you know, when we explain Thorchain, when we explain how to integrate with it, and people have those like sort of light bulb moments about you know just how easy it is and how how powerful and how much you know it, it unlocks for them, like. Like I think we should just start trying to compile those and, and and put those front and center in like in our docs, like almost like just like the video tutorial or video walkthrough of like what is uh what is Thorchain. Yeah, absolutely. And we even talked about affiliate fees and how like him integrating uh, Thorchain into his his wallet could generate you know yield and generate income for the for you know to pay his engineers and pay the devs to you know continue to add new features and such and how that's an important component of the Thorchain mentality is creating the correct incentives that any wallet or exchange that wants to interface or integrate would get paid to do so, right? Not just out of the goodness of their hearts or their interests of a new feature, but it also will generate income. Totally. Speaking of uh, video walkthroughs, Chad, you did a, you put together a great um, overview of the lending design uh, this week, and there was a lot of good feedback about that. Do you just want to summarize quickly sort of what that is and you know how how things are going with that yeah i mean if i gave like a like a quick few minute kind of like summary of that one hour long video um it basically just says that um the lending design that we've come up with is just structurally very different than every other lending design that ever existed in the DeFi space. And it offers a unique character characteristics or attributes like 0% interest, no liquidations, and no expiration of, of your loan, which just makes it extremely low risk uh, loan. So it appeals to a different kind of user than uh, the ones that typically use, like what you would use on, you know, MakerDAO or whatever, where you're just trying to 3x long your, your, your ether position. You can do that here as well if you really wanted to, um, but likely the 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 CR, the collateralization ratio, or the LTV would be uh, relatively high <clears throat> or low from the LTV perspective. Um, so most most people are probably thinking to themselves right now, how how in the world can a, a protocol offer a no liquidations loan? Why what why would a protocol ever want to hold someone's collateral forever and just let them? run off with a loan. That's, that's probably what most people are thinking. So do you, you want to tell, tell us why this, this, you know, this design is so novel and that we, we almost want people to do that? Yeah. The, the best case scenario from the network's perspective is that people open loans and they just never close them. Like that's actually like if, if I could wave a magic wand and, and, and do something like this, then if that was the case, then like the lending design would be the best thing ever. And it would cause room to pump to some crazy high quantity of value. Um, Obviously, that's not reality, but that's just the best the best case scenario. And the reason why that is is because 
when you come up to the network and you want to take out a loan and you provide like $10,000 in value, whether that be BDC or ETH or whoever the asset might be, doesn't really matter. And you basically are burning $10,000 of room off of the table immediately, right? And then we immediately make back, you know, some subset of that. Maybe it's, let's just call it like $3,000 in value. So you're like a net negative 7,000 room removed from circulating supply in that scenario. Now, it doesn't really matter what happens to the price of Bitcoin after that fact. It doesn't really matter what happens to the price of the dollar after that fact. The reality is the current state, while your loan is open, that the network as the lender, right, is, uh, you know, profitable. Like it's, it's already made its profit. It's already done well. It's already, you know, very happy because you gave us a bunch of money. We gave you far less money. And we're obviously, you know, doing quite well over here because we just got all this free money and we give out far less and, and we're all as happy as clams as, as the protocol is. Because unlike other lending designs have like its market on both sides, meaning that uh, the market provides, users provide the, the collateral and also the debt. And so you're, they're providing both sides of that equation. And in this case, the protocol itself is the lender and then the user is the borrower, right? So even in the scenario where the collateral, the Bitcoin goes to zero or, or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and, the, and the debt becomes like, you know, quote unquote, insolvent. From the network's perspective, it's not insolvent. It's actually still quite positive. We don't really give two shits. And if the Bitcoin price stays at zero for the for you know forever, which obviously that would never happen because Bitcoin's a great great asset, but just hypothetically speaking, let's just call it like you know Terra Luna or whatever. Then like that's the best case scenario from the network's perspective. Like you just burnt you know ten thousand rune, and then we minted you know three thousand rune, and then that's going to be that way forever. In which case, the rune holder, the protocol, the, the lender is like you know happy as fuck about it right because they just reduced the supply for, for for basically nothing got a bunch of free money right and that's actually a good thing for the protocol for, for, for the rune holder so that's partially what makes it so valuable as a lending design is that it's not that the network is more aligned with the the user right like in normal lending designs it's the user versus it's the lender versus the borrower Right, like the lender wants to profit, and the, and the and the borrower wants to borrow. And generally speaking, when one's winning, the other's losing, and one's losing, the others the other's winning. And in this case, it's a little bit different. It's more like the, the the lender is more aligned with the user in some sense. And so, like if um, uh, if you don't pay back your loan, that's also in the network's best interest, right? If your collateral goes to zero, that's also in the network's best interest. If you pay back your loan later on, and you know depending upon how the room price versus the asset price have, have changed, like that also could be in the network's best interest as well. So it's like, it's got a lot of places where the network like benefits and there are a few places where the network doesn't benefit. And so the, 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 the idea is that over a long, over a longer period of time, the, that the network will win in most cases and, and lose in some cases. All right. So, so let's dive into the mechanics a little bit more because I'm sure people are wondering like, how is this all possible? So can we just talk about quickly, how, how does this lending design differ from a, a traditional, um, you know, collateralized lending design like Aave? Yeah, well, in something like an Aave, um, you have somebody walks up and they provide a bunch of like, um, you know, collateral, whatever that, be. like they, they're going to, they're putting up value capital to, to be lent out, whether it be Ethereum or or like USDC or whatever, whatever asset that might be. And then somebody else comes by and says, oh, I want to borrow some Ethereum. 
you know, so I'll put up some some collateral and then I'll borrow some Ethereum and then I'll pay a, an interest rate to the person who provided the the the, the debt. Uh, and then, you know, we have to make sure that the collateral doesn't dip below the value of the debt because then the uh, person providing the, the debt would be, you know, like in the red and they would lose their money, which is obviously bad. And so instead what they just do is they do liquidations. Like generally when the collateral is like 110% of the, uh, the debt, then, then, you know, somebody can come in and basically like buy out the, 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 the collateral and, and zero out the, the borrower, right. And the borrower keeps their debt and, but burns their, you know, their ether, which was their collateral asset. And that's just kind of pinning two different people against each other. In a right. Sense. Right. I was going to say, that's like the classic PVP and DeFi that we see people, you know, they, they see thin liquidity on centralized exchanges and they realize that someone, you know, won't be able to buy up enough of the token to, you know, defend their, 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 their position. So they get, you know, they basically hunt them and liquidate them. So yeah. how, how, how does this, so you're, what you're saying is that this lending design um, inherently doesn't p- uh, pivot two um, oppositional parties against each other, it's actually more of a symbiotic relationship between uh, a borrower and the ThorChain protocol itself. Yeah, that's generally true. Like there's, there's nothing that any, if you take out a loan, there's nothing that I can do to like attack you, right? Like as a lender, as a borrower, excuse me, you don't really give two shits about the room price. So the room price is diving 50% or something like this. You don't care because you're not exposed to it, right? You're only exposed to your collateral, which is like Bitcoin, for example, and your debt, which is basically the dollar. So you don't really give two shits about that. So even if I were to like try to like drive down the value of something so that I can quote unquote liquidate liquidate you, which I can't liquidate you because you have no liquidations. And if I were to do that, it wouldn't it wouldn't benefit me at all, like as as an attacker against you. So like it, it becomes like you know. Uh, very straightforward, very, very like predictable, right? That, that, that I think that's the, the, the kind of the greatest value of the lending design in some, some sense is that it's extremely predictable what the conditions of the loan is and what they're going to be in, in a month and what they're going to be in 30 years. Because it's so predictable, because you know you're not going to get liquidated and you know you're not going to get interest rates and you know you're not going to have like, you know, something happen all of a sudden to you. But there's no there's no sudden movement that can happen that can totally screw you out of the situation like you can in a typical DeFi loan. And because of that, that loan is just super valuable because now you can actually do things with it without being worried about getting fucked. Because everybody who's like taking out a loan in DeFi, like you know how stressful that shit is. Like you, you've been staring at the ETH price, making sure it doesn't go below like, you know, a thousand dollar ETH or something like that before you get completely fucked out of your, all your money. Or you're like just staring at the interest rate that's being charged upon you, which is completely variable based, like it is on Aave or Compound, and it can inflate to like thirty or forty percent one day just because markets kind of deem it to be, and then you're just getting, then you're paying some massive inflation uh, uh, interest rate on your loan, which is just like you get totally fucked in that scenario too, and so like there's no fuckery here, and so because of that and having that predictability, it just becomes the most valuable lending design we have in the entire industry okay how how can we how can how can we offer that why is that something that Thorchain specifically can offer and i and i think i think you know it's what what about Thorchain's design what makes why does it make sense to add this to Thorchain? um why it makes it makes sense to add this to Thorchain is because the act of opening a loan 
always net burns a, a, a bunch of room. And by net buying and burning room, so you actually are, you're selling whatever your collateral is, which is called Bitcoin. And then you're buying runes, so you're creating buy pressure of the rune asset, which causes the price to go up. And then you're also burning that rune after the fact, which also causes the price to go up. Um, and then by that, by that effect, you're causing the rune value to go increase, which means that both the bond, the value of the bond and the value of the pools is increasing. Even, even LPs profit in that scenario just because they have a, a leverage position on rune as a, as a dual sided LP. And so when you're burning all this rune, they're getting they're, the yield that, they're, that, that a regular LP is getting within the pool is going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be inflated. It's going to be increased. Uh, so it just all around nodes make more money. LPs make more money. Um, savers don't, but uh, other than just like increased possible trade volume, but they don't make any direct income from that. But that's okay. They don't, they don't want to be, they don't want to be exposed to the, to the rune asset at all. That's the whole point of savers. So it's very beneficial to network and that allows it to us to have like 10 billion, 10 billion dollars in the pools and, and, and maintain economic security. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of that's kind of what I was alluding to is that Thorch, just by virtue of being a cross-chain AMM and having deep pools in all of these assets and having deep pools in Bitcoin, Bitcoin has been previously inaccessible to the DeFi world because no one had the innovation or the technology to be able to pool it on an AMM in a decentralized way. So, right. you know, Thorchain is is pretty much the perfect protocol or product to add lending onto be, because it's already, you know, has an efficient mechanism for attracting um, L1 liquidity, which is via its Thor its uh, its cross-chain swapping. And then as we as we see cross-chain swaps and integrations start to proliferate and more people start to come into savings vaults, we have deeper pools, which makes lending even more attractive. Right. Right. Yeah. Having having the best lending design, like the most sexiest lending characteristics by far. And also being able to support basically any chain and more or less any asset is, I mean, that's huge. That's groundbreaking. That's nobody in the industry can, cannot come anywhere close to touching that. Everybody is just like way the fuck far behind in that, in that sense. So, Jed, I, I think the, the next thing we should talk about is why it's safe for, for ThorChain to implement this type of lending design. And I think your explanation the other day was, was really interesting. Uh, like what you were describing was that when are people going to close their loans? It's when, say, they took out a, a Bitcoin loan. It's when their Bitcoin collateral has gone way up in value because then they can buy back their, their Bitcoin for a lot, a lot cheaper than the current prices, right? With that. So they didn't, they didn't sell it before. They just got a loan on it. And they can just pay that collateral. Sorry, they can pay that debt back and, and get their collateral back for a lot cheaper. But the the bad case for the the protocol is when they pay back those loans when Rune it has depreciated value compared to that Bitcoin. But it's just the uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if you want to go into this part of it, but it's just the the fact that as as Bitcoin rises. Uh, Rune will also appreciate in value over that longer period of time in which the person will have this loan out. And so there would be a net d decrease in Rune because people aren't going to be closing loans as Bitcoin's value is decreasing because it's just economically uh, not there in order to, to get that Bitcoin right. back. Right. Like in a bull market, and this is just true for almost any asset, it's just like the, this is like a general truth. In, 
you really can't argue with me on this. But in a, in a bull market, altcoins will generally outperform larger market capped assets, right? And that's partially because it doesn't take a lot of economic pressure to, to push a lower market cap asset, you know, 10% up versus the amount of economic pressure required to push Bitcoin 10% up is obviously, you know, far more. It's because of this kind of this, this idea is why altcoins generally almost always outperform major assets in bull markets. That's of course, there's are exceptions to that, like, you know, Ohm or like Luna that just kind of completely collapsed because they're, they're not, you know, built on solid foundations. Um, but generally speaking, if you're like a, a reasonable alt, you will, you will perform quite well relative to the larger market cap assets. It's the opposite of that, though, during the bear markets, like the altcoins will underperform the bear, the larger market cap assets for, the, for a similar reason. But in our case, we're actually quite OK with that, because um, in in a bull market, room will naturally outperform larger market cap assets. It's just it's always been true historically. and It's been true for many years now. Um and in a bear market, when we start seeing everything go down and Rune is underperforming uh, the, the asset, which, by the way, in a bear market, Rune can underperform the bear asset and still net burn Rune. Uh, if you if you work out the math, that's actually, that, that's actually true. But it doesn't even matter so much just because in a bear market, the collateral will drop far below the, the debt because in a bear market, things go down like 95% or 90%, which is just how it happens in every bear market. And in which case that scenario is like nobody would close their loans in the bear market because it just doesn't make any sense to spend a thousand dollars to get like $200 worth of Bitcoin. Like just, that's just a, a silly deal. And so you, people will only really, uh, you know, close your loans when their collateral is performing very, very well. And in that scenario, if Bitcoin is mooning, uh, most likely there's a very high chance that the rune is also mooning, not just because, uh, the macro kind of deems it, and the macro we're susceptible to macro as anybody else, any other coin is, but also because Bitcoin's price and Rune's price are directly correlated, like in a direct way. Because when Bitcoin's price goes up in value, that means the Bitcoin Rune pool is now out of balance. The Bitcoin side has more value in it than the Rune side. So some arbitrage bot needs to go out into the market, buy some Rune, swap the Rune for Bitcoin out of the Bitcoin pool, and then carry on. So inherently, whenever there's buy pressure on the Bitcoin asset, there's always buy pressure on the Rune asset as well. And how much buy pressure there is on the Rune asset is relative to the depth of the pool. So very shallow pools will, will not have a strong correlation and very deep pools will have a larger correlation to those, those two things. So there's a strong correlation that Rune will actually, you know, move in the same direction as, as Bitcoin in general. And if you look at it historically, like any random day, like just pick any 24 hour period, like Generally, Rune will do whatever Bitcoin's doing times two. So if Bitcoin's up 10%, Rune will generally be up like, you know, 17% or something like this. And if Bitcoin's down 5%, then Rune will probably be down like 10% or something like that. You can almost look at every day and like watch it closely and you'll be see that's largely, mostly true. It's not true every single day, but it's mostly true. Right. That was just one of those things that spoke to me about the design a lot and just something that I've just been thinking about since you mentioned that, where the, the worst case for the protocol is that, you know, Rune gets inflated back into supply. So like taking out loans that, that burns Rune and then paying back the loans that remints some of that Rune. But just from, from these regular market dynamics... I mean, it, it's going to need to be, be proven out in, in the wild, but like you can see the logic there 
where you know the, the collateral dips below, people are not going to want to pay back their, their their loans, and thus the ruined supply will not net inflate. And also the opposite, where you know people pay back their loans when their collateral has gone way up, and that is the, the permanent and that, that that difference of of the ruined price is the net deflation of of ruined in, in that particular loan. So I, I think it's just very very clever design. I can't wait to see like how it works. Yeah, even in an extreme scenario, right? Let's let's imagine a worst case scenario where Rune is underperforming; it's not doing well. Like something happens to Rune, like there's a let's just say there's an exploit, or like the SEC announces an investigation, or something happens specific to this this asset that causes the price to go down like fifty percent or something like this, right? And then everybody starts freaking the fuck out. I don't know why they would, because as, as a borrower, you don't really give two shits about the Rune price. But let's just say markets are irrational, which sometimes they are. And they just start to panic and start closing their loans in that scenario and start minting a bunch of room. You might think that's like that's like the worst case scenario for the for the protocol. But in reality, because there's such a panic and everybody's doing these massive trades and swaps through the layer one pools in that moment, the virtual pools will also be very, very shallow in that moment as well, which means that somebody might have two Bitcoin in collateral and they're like panicking, they want to get their collateral back. And because the shallowness of the virtual pool, they only actually get back like, you know, 0.5 or some number, it depends upon the scenario, but like, we'll just call it 0.5 of their, of their Bitcoin. Meanwhile, the other 1.5 just stays burnt as rune. And so that we don't see a net inflation of the rune asset, even in that crazy extreme scenario where markets are irrational and people are panicking. That's why this design is so fascinating because like in the Terra Luna collapse, those who left early were rewarded with you know better rates and those who left later got increasingly fucked right and in this scenario it's like it's the inverse like those who are panicking will screw themselves out of a bunch of money and they'll burn room forever which you know thank you sir i'll take another those who are who are patient and rational and not you know you know emotional can you know just wait a little bit and then close your loan later and most likely, whatever the FUD event that is occurring is like, it'll probably just, you know, uh, kind of go away and dissipate on its own after like, you know, 24 hours or whatever it is. And therefore, like, people won't even, the patient people won't even, won't, won't even feel like they need to, to, to close their loan anymore because the FUD, the FUD is dissipated by that. Most time, some FUD events happening. It's not like a three week thing. It's like a, you know, 24, 24 hour thing. So it's like, it's a natural kind of incentive that, to, that caused everybody to slow the fuck down. And not to like massively dump their shit, and and just to wait and be patient and get get the full collateral later. Yeah, really interesting part of that is that burn feels very permanent when you open a loan and it burns. There, there's essentially a claim to remint it if you were hypothetically going to close that loan right out uh, right away, right? Other than a little bit lost to fees, but the burn that you're describing is not really reversible in any sense, right? Like that's just a permanent burn. Right. That's just like, like in any market, it doesn't matter if we're even talking about crypto anymore or not, like those who act irrationally or panicked are the ones that buy stocks at, when they're high and sell them when they're low. Like those are the kinds of people that are like giving away free money to the, to the, the patient people. Like one of the core concepts of Thorchain's design from day one was that money moves from the inpatient to the, to the patient, even as a, as a swapper. If you're if you're impatient and you have a large trade, you're going to give up pay a lot of money in fees. And the patient people, meaning the LPs, 
will generate a lot of income and, you know, they're happy about it because they're being patient. And the impatient person is just like, you know, burning money effectively, which is just, this happens in like the general markets for thousands of years. Like this is how money moves in markets. This goes from the impatient to the patient. And this same design of the virtual pool depth is kind of like instigating that same or pulling that same kind of uh, a primitive, right? Where the impatient people are going to pay a lot of money to the, the patient people, right? And so like the patient people in this case would be like the rune holder and the impatient people are the people who are like panicking and fudding for some fucking reason, whichever that, whatever the hell that reason might be. And they're just like burning a bunch of rune and like, all right, well, I'm just going to give the value of my collateral to the, to the, basically the rune holders. And then it's going to dissipate in a way that just like makes everybody's rune more valuable, right? So it's even in that extreme scenario where there's some sort of mass panic. It's like the, the, the protocol actually would hold up pretty well. People might get pissed because like, Oh, I had two, two Bitcoin collateral. I'm only got one, got back 0.5. I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel gypped. But, but at the same time, it's just like, well, yeah, you made that choice to do so. Like everything was transparent. Everything was clear. You could have put a, 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 a like a, like a closed loan limit on your thing that would cancel a loan. If you didn't get back the full two, two Bitcoin amount, but you didn't do that. So, you know, that's on you. What do you want me to do? That's just the rules of the system. Yeah, definitely something UIs will have to make uh, really clear. You had said that even if Rune is underperforming, it can still be net deflationary. Is is that the mechanic driving that? Or is is there something else going on as well that can keep it deflationary in those times? Um, the, yeah, so like... Um, when Rune has to, in a, in a bull market, Rune has to overperform the asset, right, to, in order to be net in, uh, net deflationary. The reason why that is is because it's not just the collateral we're talking here, like the BDC, but it's also the debt, which is like dollar terms. So when when we open the, say somebody has like a five thousand dollar debt, right, and we open the loan, we mint you know, let's just say 3,000 rune to, to equal the $5,000 in, in, in that they get in debt. And then later on when they close it, uh, they need to pay back that debt, that $5,000. But because the rune prices increase, you know, maybe they only need to, to require, you know, bur- to, to burn 2 million, to uh, 2,000 rune instead of 3,000. And so there's like a, a 1,000 deficit just in the, in the debt side, the tour side, the, the USD side. And that's what creates like that kind of over how Rune has to overperform Bitcoin in order to like to make up for that kind of like 1000, you know, differential. But in a bear market where Rune is underperforming, where we minted, uh, we minted 3000 to give you that to give you that $5,000 debt, debt in the open loan. And then later on, you come back and you're like, well, you, now you need to give you need to burn, you know, 4000 Rune instead of 3000. So now there's like a, a like a net negative 1000 just on the debt side. So now Rune can underperform Bitcoin by like a thousand Rune, so to speak, right? And then still be deflationary, right? And that's, a, that's why it's like, it's a little bit counterintuitive. And if you spend time with the math as I have to, to kind of play with it and, and find, figure out the behavior of it, it's a little bit complicated. But that's why there's like, it's not just like a Rune, rune to add to, to collateral, like one-to-one, like which one's performing better. It's a little bit more complicated because you have to, you have to include the, the performance of Rune versus the dollar in that context. Does that make sense? It's a little bit complicated. I'm not sure if I, if I explained it well, but it's a little hard to explain. 
It it does. I, I need to spend a little more time with it for my for my smooth brain, but I, I'm getting there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the I think what we could maybe get into more is like the the concern people have mostly probably as they dig into it is like, you know, what what if there's a bunch of loans on like Doge or something, and it just gets like memed into the stratosphere? Um, can you just like walk? just to kind of just back to basics can you just like walk through that like that situation where an asset really overperforms and like what's where does the risk really come in yeah so in that scenario so so let's call it doge right because doge's ability to pump as we've seen in the past and so doge goes to the moon one day and then people decide at that point that they want to close their loans or maybe to close them and then reopen them a moment later for for more um to kind of refresh their loan. In that scenario, what would happen is uh, the network would have to mint more room than it burnt when they opened the loan to in order to, in order to repay that loan. So there'd be a net inflation of room in that, in that particular particular example until like, you know, as Doge always does, it like drops to fucking, you know, <laughs> it drops a shit ton. It's a very volatile asset for obvious reasons. Um, and so th- in that case, it could be a, a net inflation their own asset but i would also say that like that the um the sheer quantity of loans that can exist is has a relationship to the depth of the pools right so bitcoin obviously is the deepest pool it will probably have the the vast majority of loans will be bitcoin based collateral loans and there'll be some doge loans i'm sure but it, it wouldn't be you know a huge quantity and so there'll be a direct correlation between like the depth of the pool and and likely the market cap of the asset and how much loans there are and so there'll be a natural skewing of like more loans to the deeper pools and the the larger market cap assets like bitcoin and less loans going out on the smaller market cap you know uh smaller pools like like doge for example uh, and so that those can oppose much less risk because it's just not going to be that much exposure to the Doge asset in general, just because the pools are so much like, you know, thinner or smaller or shallower than what we see for like Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or one of the uh, larger assets. So they do pose the smaller cap assets like Doge pose a larger risk to the network in some sense of their ability to like moon is much higher than the ability for Bitcoin to moon just because it's much more space for it to move up. Like Bitcoin's not going to thousand X, right? But maybe Doge could, like, I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of hard to say, but you know, it's possible. It's a higher risk, higher um, reward asset Doge's over Bitcoin. And so, but there's a direct correlation and a strong tendency to, to have more loans on the safer assets, which is like Bitcoin and less loans on the smaller cap assets, like the Doge and the Litecoin and, and the ones that nobody really gives two shits about. Cool. Just a reminder, like open for questions from the audience. So I'm sure there's a lot of different uh, lending questions. So if anyone would like to hit the request button and come up at any point, otherwise we'll just keep keep ripping uh, riffing off of uh, the whole lending design up here. But open for anyone to come up. I saw there's some requests and people drop drop it up and down. So yeah, I can definitely throw out some more questions uh, in the meantime. Um, why don't we start with um, the like the, the 500 million hard cap and explaining um, how the reserve could kick in? Uh, and then I have some, do you want to just explain that? And then I have some follow-up questions. Right. So the, the biggest concern that people have about the lending is I've, since there's like a burn and mint system, like mechanism 
people think of like, oh, why won't this fail like Terror did, where you know it went from uh, a few hundred million circulation supply to like 1.3 trillion circulating supply of the Luna asset or whatever the hell the number was. Um, and the difference here is that like there actually like that was just, I mean, there was a ridiculous quantity of like fixed rate income and, and that just was unsustainable and we can get into that that's a different kind of conversation but in this context like there's an actual the, it's the network is maintaining its current monetary policy meaning that the, the supply will never increase beyond 500 million that's not being changed at all and so right now the network has like a 15 million rune kind of like buffer like if you look at the actual total supply of rune on chain which is the total like that exists rather than the circulating supply. It's 485 million. And the reason why we're, we're like kind of down 15 million is because of the kill switch. Like people just didn't upgrade their room from DEP2 or ERC20 and it, you know, their, their window is kind of closing on their ability to do so. And so there's this like kind of lack of 15 million room. That's kind of like was basically burnt as part of the kill switch effectively. And so we had this little kind of, you know, this little um, kind of uh, buffer zone, if you want to kind of call it that, which is actually quite convenient and nice for the lending design. And so um, in, this, in, the, in the disaster case scenario where like something's wrong and, and just mass producing rune, people close on loans and it's just like minting rune because the rune price is like not performing well for some reason, some FUD of that maybe, I don't know what it would be, but something's happening and people are closing their loans and all this can happen. It's not happening too fast. It's happening too fast. A virtual pool would, would, would protect the network but it's happening like a slow trickle you know over a long period of time for some reason um and then once we get to that 500 million cap the network says oh we need to mint like 10,000 rune for this guy who's closing his loan or this girl closing her loan uh but we don't have 10,000 rune to to mint because we're already at the 500 million cap or whatever so in this scenario we would just basically you know move use the reserves room um, ten, we'd borrow 10,000 from the reserves room and, and, and swap it for um, for Bitcoin or whatever their collateral asset was and then give them their collateral and they walk away fine. The most important thing to, to make sure that we that lenders know or, or brother borrowers know is that um, if we don't want people to, to close the loans, like we want people to, have to open loans and leave them open, we don't want to create any incentives for them to close a loan. So that's why there's zero in, uh, interest rates and it's why there's no expiration because there's no pressure to to like close your loan at any given moment or time. And the other really kind of important component of that is to make sure that they feel that they can close their loan at any time and get their collateral back, right? As long as they have confidence that that is a true statement, then, you know, there's no reason to, to, to close your loan. There's no reason to panic. There's no reason to FUD. There's no reason to do these things. And so by using the reserve room as kind of like the backup, it's really there just to make, just to kind of give you that confidence to the, to the borrowers to like, don't panic. Like if we just said, we are, when you get to the 500 million cap, that that's it and nobody can close their loan and like you're now screwed, then everybody's going to panic, right? And everybody's going to want to close their loan. They don't, they don't want to be the last loan to, to close and be left, the one holding the bag and, and kind of get screwed. That creates FUD. That creates, you know, a mad rush for the door, which we don't want to see happen. And so by using the reserves room, it kind of just instills that confidence that, you know what, you don't need to panic. You don't need to rush. You don't need to, you know, run to the door, so to speak. You can just chill because, you know, you'll get your, your collateral whenever the hell you want to get your collateral. And there's no reason to th think that you won't get it. So the part I'm still a bit fuzzy on is ensuring how the reserve doesn't get depleted too far. So I know you've said like there's a 
there's a cap, uh, which maybe we can talk about the details of. The cap is how deep the uh, loans can be based on based on the pool, right? But then let's say let's say it's a bull market, um, so people uh, so so the collateral value is up, so people might want to withdraw. And let's say at that time there's some kind of rune specific FUD event or whatever, and maybe even the pools are are maybe LPs are even withdrawing, um, and then and rune price is going down. So then the loan amount doesn't change based on that. So there's still the same debt. Um, yeah, that, that's just kind of a vague question, but that's the scenario that I'm still kind of fuzzy on. Can you clarify any of that? Yeah, because so the reserve right now, uh, I think it's got like 170 million rune in it, which is obviously a large quantity of rune. The pools themselves in total, I think has like a little over 30 million or 35 million, somewhere in between there um of rune in the in the pools total so if we cap the loans to be like you know let's just give it a number of like one to one ratio right between the pools and the and the you know so that we won't lend out more than you know 33 um million rune like openings right or basically burning 33 million or 35 million whatever the hell the number is 33 35 million rune then in order to get to like put the reserve at risk, like the asset would need to out, outperform room by like, uh, what would that be? Like six X or something like this, which would be fucking nutty as shit. Uh, I mean, that's obviously mathematically possible. That's, that's completely impractical. It's very unlikely to actually occur, but it's possible. Sure. It's very well possible. Um, but also the, the act of somebody closing their loan and us, you know, uh, minting more rune to 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 pay out their collateral, would naturally causes the, the collateralization ratio to to, to drop to, to go lower, and by going lower, it creates more economic pressure for people to open up new loans and and burn a bunch of rune, right? And so you have this kind of counter effect of markets to say, hey, the collateralization ratio has now dropped to three hundred percent or whatever the whole the number might be, uh, and that causes people to open up new loans, right? To kind of um, create space for other people who want to, to leave and, and close their loans, right? So there's a lot of like different kind of um, angles to think about it. But one of them is that that the, we control how much loans go out. And so we control the, the liability to the reserve. And we don't, we're not going to just like, you know, un, release the caps from the loans entirely until we're, we have good, strong confidence from from market conditions and from market behaviors that, that, that everything works as, as planned and it's, and it's safe to do so. We'll, we'll start very small, see how loans work, see how the, how the, how the human behavior is, what is the collateralization ratio people are looking to get for, for a loan with these kinds of attributes. And we'll kind of study that and then we'll like slowly kind of increase that kind of capital on the loans and as we feel more and more conf- confident. If things are, like this thing doesn't work, it's not gonna, it's unlikely that, that it's gonna expose itself to not work like three years later it's probably going to show itself to not work within the first six months or so or a year at least i would suspect you don't really i guess you really don't know really don't know until you've gone through like a full bear and a full um bull market to know how like the market reacts to such a loan but uh i'm not terribly worried about like you know burning through the reserve for this purpose especially when the pol will be there to be like the pol will be just earning room this entire time as well like it just be generating income from from just swaps and that kind of stuff so uh, there's that component as well, so I'm not really terribly concerned about it, especially in the beginning. But we should be we should be conscious of it, and we should know that like as we increase the cap on loans and allow more loans to go out, 
that it, that increases the the liability on uh, the reserve in some sense, or the potential liability. That's it doesn't even have liability actually, not until we get to a really bad place. But like, but then the funny thing is that like as you release up the cap on the loans, and more loans go out, which means more room is being burned, right? Like, if we burn like a hundred million room, right, out of the circulating supply, which is like you know almost like half the supply circulating supply right now. Like what does that what does that mean for the room price? Well, it means the room price is probably pretty fucking good, right? And it's probably outperforming Bitcoin by by a good margin at that fucking point. And so it's just like the more loans that go out and the more burning that happens, the the more economic pressure there is on the, on the room price to push upward, which means that the more likely that all the loans that are currently out are you know are net deflationary and net deflationary status or or like state. So it's just like this is as the loan more loans go out, it actually does make the network safer in some sense, as counterintuitive that might sound. I brought up two listeners. Uh, let's start with Francis. Hey, are you there? Also, Arno. Hey, hey, maybe I'll just jump in yeah. real quick while I can. Um, very impressive. Um, it's a complicated design. I got to say for more simple-minded people like myself, I definitely remember and I probably will remember the Luna Terra thing. So when you speak about burning and minting, it is uh, giving me some anxiety. I know the design is very different here, uh, but it is hard to wrap our minds around. And when it's hard to kind of understand, um, it's hard to trust. Um, it's kind of like I'm um, just trying to give a third person's view but um we're speaking well, about reserve there, well yeah, there's two ahead. major things to worry about like if your concern is like the terra luna thing whatever there's two major things to, to remember one is the monetary supply of rune is unchanged it's still hard capped at 500 million so you're not going to see this massive inflation to cre create this massive flood that we saw um and then the other thing uh is what was the other thing uh, I had something else in my mind, and it just it flew out of my mind. Well, the thing I liked was this auto-balancing thing, where as, as the uh, reserve starts going low, I mean, I don't know if there's a scenario where the reserve could get depleted, but I guess... I mean, that, that would be extremely difficult to occur. I mean, it, it technically, it's mathematically possible, sure, but the reserve will always exist just because it's always generating income. Um, it'll, it'll, it's depleting now, and it's, it's designed to deplete now. Uh, and it's going down over time. And it's like each block is emitting less room than the previous block, which is how the math works out. It's kind of like a continuous halving that's happening instead of once every four years, it's, it's it's going down. But the difference between Bitcoin and this is that it actually generates an income from swaps, from transactions, from door names, from other, other mechanisms that just generate income for the reserve. And so there'll, there'll be a point in time when, when uh, you know, the block emitted is less than or equal to to the income to the reserve and it'll just like stay still at a certain place and then if you pay a bunch of il at that point or you 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 know close a loan then then you have a situation where the block emitted is less than the income which means that the reserve will slowly be built up until it reaches that kind of like balance point so like it'll always be there even like in a billion years it'll like always even though this is a circulating supply a, 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 a hard supply of, of room even in a billion years, it'll be like a, a, effectively an infinite supply of room within the reserve in some sense. 
Oh, I remember this. The second thing about the Terra Luna thing is that the difference between Terra Luna and this is that Terra Luna had uh, uncapped the UST asset. This kind of like we we create some artificial incentive of twenty percent fixed rate to create a massive crazy demand for the UST asset, and we allowed the system to get top heavy, and so it became too hot, too much kind of like the, the guillotine got too heavy above the the Luna neck in a sense. And once things started going south, like everybody saw that waterfall coming down and they knew the result for Luna would be, you know, a crash. And so everybody dumped their Luna as well. So in this case, you don't have that because the, there's actual relationship. The thing can never become t- top heavy. I guess it could become top heavy if we decided to make it top heavy, if the community made that choice to do so. But that's something that has to be decided upon. In the beginning, it's especially it could never become even remotely close to becoming top heavy and actually holding a large guillotine in any sense. Uh, it couldn't really have much of a threat at all, actually, in the, especially in the early days. It just depends on how much we want to open it up. Do you know what I mean? Another key difference is that the the TOR, the, the USD uh, accounting internally, and these derived assets, um, they're not tokens that sit in your wallet. So they're only tied to opening and closing loans. So there's no there's no scenario or there's no reason where you're just minting the shit out of it or burning the shit out of it. Like it's only tied to opening and closing loans, which keeps it really contained. And just like Chad said, it doesn't just create infinite demand for for you know a stable coin for example that you can just deposit for an arbitrary 19.5 percent and then there's you know it just goes to infinity uh it doesn't have that mechanic so it's a lot more uh controlled arno did that uh, answer your question okay he's, he's done already uh francis are you there yeah, I'm here. Hey. Um, uh, so I got a few comments and a couple of questions, I guess. Um, I guess uh, just a quick tale real quick. Um, I checked my email uh, earlier this morning. Uh, I was trying to get a loan with a banker. I've never gotten a loan before. And I was looking back at this email conversation, and it was 44 emails over a couple of months to try to get a loan less than $10,000 so I could get a car to continue working. And I failed to get the loan after 44 emails. And then I looked into something like Aave. I took out a big Aave loan, but I didn't lock in the car just because I wanted to make sure I could sleep at night with this Aave loan. And I could not. So I just wanted to say that your your story uh, that you've told a few times, Chad, about the guy who wants to get a car or whatever the fuck to improve his life i'm that guy who's waiting for this product so thank you um boom right there in the flesh there's francis you are you are the person that i'm building this for you are the reason why i want to build this fucking thing to allow you to buy a car so that you can get to work when the traditional finance system completely failed you after 44 fucking emails and two months of conversation on a ten thousand dollar loan and then you didn't want to do the Ave thing either because that's risky as all shit. And it's just like really, it's like dangerous for you to do so. You are it, man. Like, that's it right there. You heard it here, people. Yeah, th- thank you so much, Chad. Um, so the other, the other thing is um, you, you, put a, you put out that video the other day explaining the lending. And 
Like, I, I, I've been looking at all the, the videos recently, trying to understand it. And s since your video, I, I finally started to understand the lending a little bit enough to criticize it. And so my, my criticism... Okay, so y you've said in the past that w during a bull market, uh, a lot of the prices are going to go up for all these coins. Uh, but from what I've noticed is, yes, that's true. A, a lot of these coins that people will be able to take loans out will go up and rune will go up as well but from what i remember the coins generally take turns to pump they take turns so let's say doge it's doge's turn to pump and it moons versus rune that's when people will want to close their loans as far as i can tell and then avax they time their avalanche rush so that they can moon versus other things that's when people will want to close their avax loans etc like all these these lower cap things that could potentially moon versus rune the way I see it is people are most incentivized to close their loans when they moon versus the rest of the assets, which includes Rune. So that, that, that's a concern I have. Uh, the, the other thing I, I wanted to say was I had a thought experiment earlier was what if Rune is like uh, same market cap as Bitcoin? Like R Rune, Rune makes it, Rune is the same market cap as Bitcoin. Then in, the, in that case... Uh, people are still able to take out loans versus all these other small market cap things. Everything will moon versus rune because rune's market cap is too large. So everything will expand rune supply in that scenario. And so I know you've said in the past that you don't want to have like all this voting and such for what you allow to have a loan and what you don't allow to have a loan. But isn't it possible to make some sort of objective measurement of, you know, just have, uh, you, you know, number of market cap, like you must be in the top three or whatnot, just in order to ensure, because eventually it just seems like when you take it to the limit, everything will cause Rune to inflate the, the, the more successful Rune is. Yeah, so let, then, me, let me address those, those two points. So the first one he said about like, you know, Doge mooning one day and Rune not mooning just because maybe Elon Musk tweets again or something like this to cause Doge to pump. Like that situation is like very well possible and probably will happen at some point in time. The, the reason why that's not a problem in my mind is because we don't really care about like the day to day or like this one pumps this week and that one pumps that week or whatever it is. What we want to know is like, what is the aggregate, right? Like is most loans closing uh, with, net inflating or most loans closing and net deflating like that's the real question and to be honest i don't have a, an answer to this question i don't think anybody has an answer to this question we won't actually really know until we actually try it out and like see what happens right like and that's part of why i want to set this thing small and scale it slowly over time is just like let's just see what the market behavior is and so that might be this that might be the case that we see a net inflation in most loans and if that's the case then Maybe we just cancel the feature or maybe change some attribute of it or, you know, do partial liquidations, which is another idea we've thrown, thrown around in the past, which I personally hate. But, you know, it's 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 more structurally sound for the protocol. And so, like, we, we can talk about that stuff, but we don't really know the answer to that until we actually like, try it out. Which that's, that's, that's partially what I'm excited to do. Um, your second question, your first question was about the doge pumping. The second question was about, remind me of that one once again. Well, it was just a, a thought experiment for if Rune is a giant market cap coin, everything will cause it, every loan will will make the supply inflate because right. Rune's market cap is too large. 
Right. So in that case, a hypothetical scenario where like Bitcoin and Rune have the same market cap, which would be, you know, obviously quite insane. And Rune would have to be like thousands and thousands of dollars per Rune to, to get to that place. So congratulations, everybody's holding Rune right now because you, you, you've done pretty well for yourself. Um, I think we can t- talk about that as a community in if and when that ever happens. And I don't expect Rune ever to be anywhere close to Bitcoin's market cap, to be honest with you. Like Bitcoin is a much different use case. It's trying to be money in some sense, and nothing, nothing's bigger in the world than money, really. So I don't really personally expect Rune to ever really, like, you know, be competitive to, to Bitcoin and market cap. But, you know, if it is, that does happen, and I'm wrong, and Rune does extraordinarily well, and it's, like, one of the biggest assets on the fucking planet, then, you know, we can come back together as a community to have this conversation and debate about whether or not we want to continue doing lending or, or change the design somewhat or whatever. But for right now, it's not really something I'm terribly concerned about. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. The, the the last thing I wanted to say was I I do hope that this feature scales slowly because as far as I can tell, all the potential seeds that could cause it to you know have inflation happen, all the seeds are planted in the bear market. You know, like uh, price depressed Doge. With a loan, a loan taken out with a price depressed Doge is the seed that causes inflation later on. So I, I, I guess that that makes me hope that it's it's scaled slowly, so we can see you know at least a few bear markets to see like what actually happens when those when those seeds are planted in the bear. Yeah, the 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 speed of which this thing scales is determined by the notes, right? These are these are going to be configurable things that we decide upon. Like we will decide upon what percentage of the pools do we want to be loaned out, whether it be 10% or 50% or 200% or 10,000%, like whatever that number is. And then the what is the range of CR to start from 100% to 1,000% or 100% to 10,000% or 500% to whatever. All these things are just configurations that the node operators basically, basically can control. And so the speed at which we scale this thing is just up to the community to decide how fast they want or how slow they want to scale this thing. All right. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Francis. Uh, Patrick, you there? Yes. Um, hey, Ben. Um, so my question is not specifically on the lending product. It's kind of on these features in general. Um, it's maybe a nine realms question. I'm, I'm curious. You, you mentioned a lot of integration partners uh, your team's working with. Um, and I was just thinking that you know, as more and more features are added to the protocol and there's more and more integration partners, then there's obviously like more risk um, that exposed to all these integration partners. So I'm just curious how how you're navigating these conversations um, around like adding more features, you know, because this impacts these other companies' products. Um, if there was something, you know, if there's some systemic risk to a new feature, obviously it can impact these other companies' products and their business. So how do you navigate those conversations? And then are those integration partners uh, also interested in taking a stake in the network in terms of nodes, liquidity, and whatnot? Thanks. I don't know if some of Nairam wants to answer this question. If, if you guys don't, I will. Yeah, I can take it. Um, yeah, I mean, so of course, uh, with these new new features, there's always risk. There, I mean, there's there's risk with even just cross chain swaps uh, in terms of you know users getting refunded or or whatnot. And of course, there's always protocol risk. So, you know, 
the risks of each feature are the, you know, the first thing that we kind of go over with these integration partners. Um, and that's, you know, one of the big pushes is to, you know, document all of the risks associated with any feature that um, they might be interested in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super important. And I mean, it's, it's kind of choose your own, own adventure for each of these partners. I mean, we have wallets to integrate cross-chain swaps first and then want to kind of go into DEX aggregation. And then that's a you know whole separate conversation. And then they want to get into savers and that's a whole separate conversation. So that, you know, they, they usually start with cross-chain swaps as like the, the starting point. And then to, depending on what their users want, um, we go into these, these other conversations. Um, and, you know, that any anytime they have questions or anything like that that that's like the, you know that's the most important thing is making sure that they're aware of you know the risks associated yeah how do you, how do you see them uh, maybe getting more involved in governance in the future um in terms of having you know having a say somehow do you, do you see that as being a thing do you see these companies interested in being nodes as well let me let me let me jump in because um I'll, and i'll also present sort of a um a, a counter scenario to where um, one of the wallets that we talked to recently, they're, they're one of the biggest companies in the world. So you, you probably know them. But when we, when we sat down and talked to them, they were actually initially interested in the savings and the earn product. They wanted it to be you know, something that they could seamlessly integrate for their users into their wallet. And ThorChain is something that could do that for them. So they, their, their first question to us when they were kind of just doing like the initial vetting and due diligence was, you know, where does the yield come from? Every, everyone in the space knows, you know, if you don't know where the yield comes from, you are the yield. Um, so with them, you know, we kind of had to explain to them, look, the, the yield actually comes from cross-chain swaps. So it's in your best interest if you want to, you know, launch this product and you want to make this product successful, that you should also integrate cross-chain swaps because, you know, integrating one, you know, and not the other, you're not really doing your part to sort of like even out the demand and the supply in the system. Um, so we're very straightforward with them. We say, look, you know, like the risk is that you you implement this feature, but your users don't get the yields that they want. In order to ensure that they get the yields that they want, you should also implement swaps. Um, so having those conversations is is it's definitely you know a bit of a a process to get them there on like sort of what are the risks, but also what are the things that they can do that they can specifically do to help mitigate those risks. And you know, it, I don't I wouldn't say that we've had any of those conversations yet about telling them, you know, hey, you should take a stake in the network or get actively involved in its governance. But, you know, one of the things that um, can scale, for example, savings vaults, like if we start to hit the security cap, um, one of the things that, you know, someone can do if they want to, you know, increase the, the capacity of the savings product is to start to take a, an actual position or to take a, to take a, um, to take a stake in, in Rune itself as an asset to buy up Rune that will increase capacity and uh, increase security and increase the capacity of the savings vaults. So, you know, there, there are certain ways that we can explore, you know, um, um, and, and th those are conversations that, you know, we would love to start having with the bigger companies, the bigger wallets, um, you know, um, I can't really say much more, but, but, but basically um, it, them taking a position in ThorChain, I think would be a mutually beneficial thing. And, you know, given the, 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 the scope of Rune and, and what you can do with, you know, uh, savings and swaps. I think it would absolutely make sense for those companies to take large positions, run their own nodes, get involved in the governance process. It's not even to mention the increased decentralization of the network, you know, given these companies running their own 
infrastructure bonding their own rune that that's just another entity that is that, that has some kind of say in the governance of Thorchain and is someone else decentralizing the uh, increasing the civil resistance of Thorchain by making more nodes with more bond. So it, like not only does it directly help the network in that way, but it it helps the network become more decentralized and get to the get to the place where we need to be, where there's hundreds and hundreds of nodes and hundreds of entities uh, running those I, nodes I think, and administering think, the network. I think it gives Thorchain political, um, like essentially like like political power as well. You know, if you have if you have multi billion dollar companies that are aligned with you and your product and your vision, they have a stake in your in your protocol. They're integrated with your features. They, they have a stake in your success and they and they want to see your success. And so, you know, if, if we get uh, imagine a world where we get all of the top uh, centralized, decentralized exchanges, wallets, you know, uh, uh, consensus, uh, you know, every, everyone in, in all of crypto is on board with Thorchain and owns a little stake and runs a node and is integrated with, you know, that that just makes Thorchain even more uncensor- uncensorable because, you know, you have allies. Having allies is important. Um, and I think that by, you know, strategically aligning yourself with other people's, um, you know, goals and, and, and their, and what their users are trying to, um, accomplish, it it only, you know, enhances the, the position of Thorchain. Yeah. I think more likely than not, more exchanges will be running. I, I, I think in the future that all exchanges will have to be running Thor nodes it, uh, just as part of the, the, the full stack of just implementing Thorchain swaps. And like, I think we will get to that point one day where the, these centralized entities and decentralized exchanges and things like that will all be running Thor nodes. And like even just getting the rune to do that from affiliate fees, not even having to, to buy, uh, to, to buy rune itself directly, just, you know, do, do swaps for long enough and eventually get enough room in, or, in order to run your own infrastructure. That's a great, that's a great point. I would love to see that happen. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to see like, you know, 12 of the, of the, of the validators because it's, it's important to have, it's important that like the, and people always ask like, you know, why no liquid staking? We had this conversation extensively, like why no liquid staking? You know, it would be great if you guys could ha- support 10,000 validators and it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I kind of want personally, and I don't know if this is the right thing, but I would love if Thorchain just had 200 validators, um, people that are spread out across every single geography and jurisdiction, but that the, the average Thorchain node operator was a highly intelligent, highly profitable shop or a protocol or an extremely wealthy investor or individual. I, 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 I somewhat think that there's merit in having the decision making about Thorchain's future concentrated with, um, amongst people that essentially have a lot of capital because it means that they're generally they're going to have a team they're going to do rigorous analysis to protect their investment like the things that we're talking about on this call like node operators deciding collateralization ratios or deciding what pools should get protocol owned liquidity or whether to enable or disable impermanent loss protection these are all incredibly important things that require a studied um, interest in Thorchain, and it's not just up. It shouldn't just be up to a layman or any like you know Rune holder, Joe holder, to make those decisions. Only the people that are actively contributing to the security of the network and that have have literally spent millions and soon tens of millions of dollars to actually participate in that in those discussions and in those votes um, should have that right. And that might be a, a bit of a 
unpopular opinion in you know in a in a populist sort of um, ecosystem like this. But I think that you know what we're building, there's there's too much at stake um, to just kind of you know be willy nilly about that that decision making. So um, yeah, I, I just think I think that like when it comes to getting big big players involved in 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 taking a you know in taking a stake like i i welcome that because it means that there will be more people with intimate knowledge of the space and the mechanics of DeFi to help us with this decision making process i look forward to the day when um all of these conversations that we're having right now we're having them with the entire industry because they're going to be the ones that have a, a vested interest in what the outcome of those decisions are and i i think i think you know i think it'll I think it has a potential a potential to be perfectly harmonious, um, but yeah, that that's to be that's to be seen. Thank you guys for, the, for uh, so much. Appreciate what you guys are all doing. Um, yeah, it's really I'm really glad I stumbled across this project. It's been really fun to learn everything. Been waiting for this for many many years, many years. Sweet, thanks, man. Uh, let's go to Birchalarge. Hey, thanks for taking this time. I've been kind of busy with everything and a little bit of out of the picture, but um, could you guys talk a little bit about just the integration strategy? Are you guys targeting specific projects, um, especially kind of on the liquidity integrations? Um, or are people coming to you like, or do you have a target list that the community might be able to help for? And if, and if I've missed this for just being dialed out, but I really feel like we're at this great point where if we get the right integrations, like in the right, like it, it could just go really quick. So I just would love to hear how you're thinking about targets and, and what you want to do. Yeah, it's a good question. So Nine Realms, uh, as a team, we manage uh, a list of, uh, potential integration partners um, and they kind of fall into different camps like they might either be like a wallet or a dex or a dex aggregator things like that so we kind of divvy them up into different camps um, and that kind of affects like what the integration would look like for them um, so yeah top of mind for us right now is uh, wallets of course um, and so we have basically a hit list of wallets that we're either in talks with or we're helping them scope out the integration or they're in the progress pro uh, progress of uh, of integrating um and we kind of manage this status list uh, as we go through um our list is pretty exhaustive um you know every now and then we'll just kind of reach out to the community like with a twitter post like hey what wallet do you guys uh want to see thorchain swaps in um and we'll kind of take that into consideration and we have pretty good connectivity throughout the industry so we're usually able to get like a you know a pretty uh close introduction to the team uh and then we just go from there um, so that's kind of our strategy. And I will say that like inbound in terms of people just reaching out to us has never been higher. Um, and I think as we continue to kind of roll out these larger integrations, like that's just kind of, again, like talking about those dominoes, like they, one falls, one big one falls and a lot follow. Um, so yeah, I mean, anyone is welcome to reach out if they have a project in mind that they think should be integrating. Um, and we will, follow up immediately get in contact with the team and start scoping um that's kind of the progress perfect and just a quick quick follow-up what about kind of disconnecting wallets from the network kind of i mean it seems like i don't know if there's risk there with stuff that's just not creating the volume and not working out do you guys 
think about you, dis- you mean disconnecting chains yeah a little of that just a little like i mean we're such a transitory period where like not everything's going to make it and we just i just want it to be efficient and not have different vectors of and just maybe the better way is resources on your end going to the wrong places right yeah totally i mean we already disconnected tarot and that was kind of like a first we didn't really foresee that happening so it was kind of like a live fire drill but um we got that done and and you know it 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 did end up having an impact on the network right there's 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 definitely something to be said about being selective about which chains that you choose to add which kind of goes back to the the whole thing of like governance and nodes needing to like really take careful uh, stock of what chains that we add, not only because it, you know, increases the operating expense of running a node, but, and, and obviously that all that, but like just the, the, the risk that like a bunch of people start buying up your assets so that they can LP, you know, and there's a frenzy around some project like there was around Terra, a bunch of Terra people um, bought Rune and then, you know, paired it and LP'd it. And that was great. Yeah. Infected, like 30% of the net um, volume overnight became, not net volume, net liquidity overnight became uh, Terra project related. So that when you saw that there were the, the collapse of Terra, there was also a collapse of the rune price. Um, but at no point did that ever really like threaten the project, which it was an amazing stress test. I, I would say that all of the events that happened this year were honestly that like you couldn't have asked for a better stress testing scenario and although it kind of um, made me lose some sleep and a little bit of have a little bit of stress the the network itself was resilient throughout everything and so we've seen now like you know we, we talk about needing to um battle test these ideas through bull and bear markets it's like yeah we, we we've battle tested them now we're we're in a bear market now and we were in a bull market in 20, you know, and end of uh, beginning of 21. So like it's, it's a, it's a, the, 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 the dynamics of the system have been proven out and yeah, we could do, we could go for another two, three cycles, but you know, just seeing that like ILP and our, our liability on impermanent loss didn't like, you know, blow up or that like there was never any sort of, um, um, you know, capital flight really from, from, from FUD or anything like that. Like that Thorchain withstood the test of these last 12 months is extremely, you know, it, it gives me a lot of confidence. Yeah, I completely agree. I just, it also just shines a light on just how important some of those decisions will be over the next year, kind of as the dust settles, like where you choose to build partnership and spend resources to me seems to have a lot of, um, will we'll dictate kind of how successful the project will be over that six months to two year time frame. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, you don't even have to tell me. I'm I'm the probably have been the most vocal opponent of adding things like Haven or Dash or any of these small cap projects. Like I, I think that if if it were up to me, Thorchain would just be the premier you know cross chain swapping for. BTC and ETH and all the and all the loaning and lending would just be on BTC and ETH. That would still be an, an, an extremely innovative project. But of course, there's there's tons of other L1s that are, you know, providing uh, value in the ecosystem that we want to integrate with. 
Um, I think Adam was a really great addition because it gives us access to the IBC ecosystem. Avalanche gives us access to a low gas uh, EVM ecosystem. So there's going to be there, like it, it's we should only add L1s to um, um, Thorchain when they when they fundamentally unlock like a large new like they, like think of it all as like a neural pathways and one access to one chain can give us access to a hundred chains um, by virtue of like some you know by, by virtue of the cosmos ibc or um or you know uh, uh, low gas evm bridges that allow you to hop between like arbitrum and avax or something like that so just like uh, un we, we should be really really conservative about what we connect to and only connect to chains that um that really do un unlock fundamentally new like you like user bases and and liquidity pools that are other would otherwise be stranded which is why I think Doge was a good one. Doge is a Doge was stranded liquidity, and there's it has a very active user base. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I, like right now, if I, I if it were up to me, I would just say like we we, we should just nuke um, Bitcoin Cash, probably nuke Litecoin because I mean nothing really is happening there like in terms of development. Although they do have a privacy thing that would be kind of cool. But then just add BSC, um, and then yeah, just kind of wait on other things. But um, yeah, we should talk about impermanent loss protection. It, it, do we have time to talk about that today? Do you guys want to get into that? Well, there's there's other people who want, who have questions to ask, so I think we can wait on on IOP right. for a bit. Yeah, why don't we wait till next week? I'll I'll probably have the ADR up for that by then. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of thoughts there. I'm sure. Yeah, and then we'll now talk. there's some good solutions that we can come up with too. Like now now that the, the solutions are all right here, it's just a matter of like deciding which one to take. So I think we're in a good spot for that. Okay. Let, let, let's go on to uh, Shock Rocket. Hey. I, I think uh, Ken was here before that. Oh. Hey, Ken. Uh, hey, guys. How are you? Um, yeah, so I, I watched uh, Chad's uh, landing design YouTube video. Um, first of all, like, um, thank you for everyone's efforts. Like, it's just it's just been amazing to, to see this team working, like, more ambitiously than ever in this bear market, um, really. Just, I just want to say that um, there are really like cool parts about the design that I like. It's it's a design that I've like kind of studied uh, previously, but need the refresher. Um, one thing that I, I want to sort of uh, go through is when you take out a loan and then you pay, you close your loan. Um, let's say your loan is um, net inflationary where where does the like inflated like rune supply end up do they end up in the pool at, at the end of the uh, uh, loan payment or um, could, could could someone remind me that yeah it effectively goes into the pool and then it gets the, and then out goes the BDC or whatever the original collateral they put in and so yeah effectively it ends up in the pool okay okay I see um okay was just was just curious about that so so the the part that i really really like about this design is like it's very counterintuitive it's that like the depth is always in stables and then um basically at, like if your collateral is below stables you're never going to pay back your loan um which is like pretty much like in, in so so like in, in this terrible like a bear market situation um all of that liability like isn't felt by by the protocol because it's never get gets realized um and then, and then on the on the upside 
now, like you, you know, under normal circumstances, Rune is a is a smaller market cap uh, than like the rest of the pools, like usually. So it should, uh, in normal circumstances, outperform. But like uh, the only thing that's sort of bugging me is is like we have to be, I think, cognizant of like any uh, like hacks or stuff like that are now like more sort of have like uh, um, like amplified impacts on uh, people's behaviors. Like if, for example, you know, um, Rune sort of underperforms in a bull market, um, like there are now like added risks, right? Like one, like Rune is getting emitted like into circulation more faster. And, and then like, ILP is another is another thing, but like you you can see how ILP and this like rune minting can like um, happen all together, and so like they, they sort of have an amplified impact. So I think like ILP will be uh, crucial uh, with, with this design, like how 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 to how we think about this. Um, yeah, Th- those are like my initial thoughts. Generally, I, I really like the design under normal circumstances. I, I think it's gonna perform great I'm, I'm quite excited it's just these like in the in the very edge cases i think there are more now like torchain is like pretty much becomes more vulnerable to these like edge case situations i think yeah i mean i, I think that's a fair way of looking at it like an honest way of looking at it um i think the the hope is that in those scenarios where these edge cases are happening edge cases are kind of edge cases and they don't they don't they're only around for like, you know, 1% of the time and the other 99% of the time we're in the normal cases, which is where everything is like, you know, going quite well. And so the assumption is that in that 99% of the time when we're, when Rune is being deflationary on these loans and then being inflationary on the edge cases, which is like maybe 1% of the time that it's fine. Like if the vast majority is still being deflationary, some are being inflationary, but the vast majority is still being deflationary. And so the network performs quite well even in those scenarios, like as a whole, the question is always about the aggregate and like, how does the network perform as an aggregate rather than in the edge case scenario that you're, that you're voicing about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I don't want to take too much time. Just, just wanted to share my thoughts and uh, my comments. Thank you. Thanks again. Cool. Yeah. Let's uh, go to, Shock Rocket. Hey, <clears throat> a long time listener, first time caller. Uh, kudos to Chad and the team. Love the team, love the project, love the lending design, love that uh, y'all are turning the world upside down. It's all very, very cool stuff. Um, I know the lending has been in the idea phase for a while and is on at least its second design, second iteration. Um, what, what all would need to happen for the idea to get greenlit as a let's move forward on it. Uh, has any development been started yet? Um, and what would be like best case, worst case, as far as uh, timeline goes for when it might actually go live? Yeah, um, so development's already started on it. Um, I've opened up a PR myself that does the derived asset uh, code and logic, uh, which is open right now and will probably be merged in the next few days or week or so. Um, there's probably maybe one or two, uh, possibly maybe three, uh, more PRs that need to be done uh, in order to make this, make this feature kind of complete. 
Um, my estimation of when this will be like ready to go after like testing and validation and all that kind of stuff that we'll we'll do on StageNet um, will probably be sometime in, like Q1. That's just my my personal opinion. I think that's a reasonable time frame for 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 launching this thing in, into the wild, and then we'll start to see how it you know everything goes, how everything performs. Awesome. Appreciate you. No worries. Uh, Nakamoto Bisk. Hey, great spaces yesterday. Thanks for coming on. Hey, appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, thought I'd come on to chill out and <clears throat> see what was going on in the world of Thor. Um, yeah, I mean, not much to add apart from yesterday. I did talk to some people about um, how realistic it is to increase the consensus size from you know less than a hundred to say a thousand or something uh and some people said that's you know it's going to happen at some point but low priority um but yeah just love the project really yeah i mean to be honest i personally would disagree with that sentiment like i don't think we'll ever see a thousand just because um we are limited by the 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 um the tenement protocol itself and how many that one can support. I think the most we've ever seen Tenement actually do in reality is about 250 nodes. But even if it wasn't that limitation and we could actually technically go to 1,000, I would doubt we'd see that just because of the amount of room that's required to run a node is so high and the competition so high that you know there's just not enough people who have that much room to, to be able to even run nodes to begin with. So I doubt we'd ever get to a thousand. I think we'll we'll be at a hundred. We're, we're close to hundred now. Uh, we might go to like one hundred and fifty at some point into like a into a bullish future. But I don't think we'll really see anything larger than two hundred. To be honest with you, Chad, on, just for context, on on his space yesterday, I, I I was throwing out some crazy ideas about how we could, um, if if we needed to scale, like if security became such a a, a limitation that like Bitcoin. Just like couldn't, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't stuff enough Bitcoin into the network to satiate all the demand. I was saying we could, we could potentially spin up like Thorchain subnets, which basically use like a like a different kind of um of rune and basically like beam that, or basically use IBC to beam rune to like a Bitcoin Thorchain subnet that specific like only validates Bitcoin transactions and and pools additional Bitcoin, and then you'd just be able to swap the synthetic bitcoin from the from the from that network like a like a like a canary network into the main network but i mean it's, it's obviously still ideation but I, I just i do think that there are um there are ways to scale thorchain like if 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 the security budget gets completely maxed out um or if or if there's so much demand that we need like you know a, a different validation network um just to handle all the throughput yeah, very early on in the development and design of our store chain, we actually had this conversation about, like, should there be a single network per chain and then network all these different networks together? Um, and that was, a like, a design concept that was kind of, um, uh, like, examined. In the end, the reason why we didn't do that, other than just the overt complexity that comes with that, is that you're now having a different security model on a per-chain basis. So... Maybe the Bitcoin chain is really secure because it's got, you know, 100 validators on it. And then the Litecoin one is not very secure because it's only got, you know, seven validators on it. And then it becomes, uh, you know, problematic in that sense. And that's, so I think it, it makes more sense to me, at least in my personal stance, is just to maintain a, certain, a single chain that everybody just contributes the same asset in there and grows it there. Um, but if you wanted to get to a thousand nodes and, then you, you know, and you'd probably have to reduce the minimum supply of, 
uh, of a no bond. Like, um, I, I don't think breaking it up into smaller mini chains and then using IBC to beam things across chains and such would be as effective to, to increase the bond personally. Um, but maybe so I'm wrong about where that. are we at with like vault nodes? Like, like, is there any, is, do we still see any potential future for them or is that kind of idea kind of dead in the water? Uh, I mean, it's not dead in the water. Um, I mean, we, we could totally go down that road. And so if anybody who listening doesn't know what a vault node is, like the, the idea there is that um, there's in, in scaling the network, uh, the problems of scaling it in the context of like being able to commit blocks. You can't have, you know, a thousand, um, uh, Cosmos nodes like this doesn't work. Tendermint doesn't allow such a thing. And so, if you want to scale to like ten thousand people, you, maybe a hundred of them are committing blocks, but you know, a hundred plus what you know the other t- other ten thousand, whatever it is, are running a node that has the same infrastructure, but is not is not uh, participating committing blocks to the chain to the four chain block, but is committing like to security and it's like holding Bitcoin or holding Ethereum uh, and securing the assets and being a part of a TSS threshold uh, vault and Asgard vault and stuff like that. That's still possible. And we can, we can look into that. Um, but I think one of the issues we have to be considerate of is that um, the security of the network is not about the total amount of rune in the, in this, in the bond. It's only, you can only count the bottom two thirds of the, of the bonds, right? So the top one third highest bonding people are not contributing to the security of the network and only throwing the two, two thirds bottom, you know, side. So if you had 10,000, you know, uh, nodes all contributing like vault nodes, whatever, then what does that mean for the actual security of the network? You might actually reduce security, even though there's a higher quantity of rune in the bond, the total actual security of the network might even be less than what it is now. It's counterintuitive and as weird as that sounds. But the, that just means that if I wanted to control enough nodes to, to, to steal, how much room would I actually have to own to do so? And in that scenario where there's like 10,000 nodes and they're all vault, almost all about vault nodes and each one's got like 100 rune in them or you know 10,000 rune, something, something relatively small then you might get into a, to a problem where it, it's easy to control a large quantity of uh, validator, a large quantity of Asgard signing memberships. And then you might get to a point where any particular Asgard really can't hold that much assets and still be secure. And then that becomes like a problem of like, well, if you can't hold that much assets, then it's not really offering much security now, is it? And so that becomes part of the, the, the argument or the debate about uh, vault nodes. It's kind of complicated and counterintuitive, I know. I, I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't explain it particularly well there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess the motivation of my question was just that, you know, in, in the long term, I mean, if you're talking about having a protocol that's still going to be around in 50 years, you know, probably having 80 nodes or 100 nodes isn't going to cut it long term, but it's probably not. Well, why do you say that? Why, why is 80 or 100 nodes not going to cut it in your view? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know that much about the history of blockchain, but I am aware that there were issues with some of the uh, DPoS networks like EOS where you, you did actually see collusion eventually happen because, you know, there were a certain number of nodes and it was like some number of dozen and they eventually started colluding with each other and doing well, bad things. 
EOS had like I think it was an eight of eleven or something like this, right? Okay, I mean that's a, a, you know an order of magnitude smaller, but I think and all the people who were running nodes, everybody knew who they were, and they were all best friends and had like you know lunch on the weekends together. Like in, in, in Thorchain's case, all the validators are, are, are anonymous, at least the vast majority of them are, are anonymous, and I don't really know who the fuck they are, nor do I really want to know who the fuck they are. So my ability to, you know, collude with validators or whatever, or anybody's ability to collude with validators becomes extremely difficult because there's no way to communicate or connect. There's a there's a, a, a process called make relay with, that allows them to communicate with each other, but that's only done through public forums that everybody can read that conversation so there's no there's no private dms happening between validators or at least really not enough of them to be able to collude and, and do anything malicious not to mention that the economics you know support the idea that they're not going to do it collude because they would they would lose a lot of money if they would yeah i mean i guess it's more of a you know in in practice this is probably not going to happen but if you're <laughs> If you're an uninterested third party looking at it and you see, well, there are really only eight of these operations and that's it forever, then you know, maybe in the future things will happen that can't happen now. Anyway, I mean it's just a it's just a thought. I'm a bit of a newbie, so uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I am I'm, I'm personally okay with having a hundred validators. Like obviously more is better. I would like to see you guys to hundred and fifty or, or larger. But to me, like the difference between having a hundred validators and hundred fifty validators, like in terms of decentralization, is like, hmm, like how much is that really going to shift reality about like how decentralized network is? Probably not that much, to be honest. About thirty percent. Yeah, I mean, you could put an, an like an actual number on it, but like if if the government were to, to attack Thorchain and it had a hundred validators versus one hundred fifty validators, how much is that really going to shift whatever transpires after that point? Probably not very much. Right. The thing is, it's not always linear, right? Like having 20 nodes is not is probably more than twice as decentralized as having 10 nodes, in a sense. Or having 50,000 nodes isn't really twice as secure as having 25,000 nodes, right? Like it doesn't really scale linear, linearly in terms of just what's required to, to collude and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of early in the life of blockchain. Um, I suspect there are still things that can go wrong that haven't gone wrong yet. But yeah. oh, of course. But also, at the same point, like every cosmos change chain is, you know, like even within the cosmos world, like we are actually one of the most decentralized chains within the cosmos space. Like in terms of uh, distribution across providers and across the world, and, and quantity of providers, like we are one of. The, like our Nakamoto score um, is actually, I think, higher than the vast majority of, of Cosmos chains in general. But like, if having a hundred validators is, is like a problem for some reason or whatever, that that just means that like the entire proof of stake network concept, whether that be Cosmos or even like you know Ethereum, is you know in a bad a bad state, whatever that state that is. Well, I, I thought Ethereum has basically stalled their proof of stake for years because they. Vitalik was so keen to be able to have hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, yeah, that, that's we all know that's not really reality. Like, it's, it's yeah, well and good to have the, have the hope, but he's nowhere remotely. I mean, he's, there's really only like five five validators really in, in Ethereum right now. The, 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 yeah, the, the thing is, you have to look at like um, 
like where the where the actual tokens are and like what the concentration of wealth on the network is. So there's a huge concentration of wealth on the Ethereum network. So even though there's 10,000 nodes that are running, that doesn't mean that there's 10,000 individual entities that have control over Thorchain. In reality, there's only like four or five because there's these huge, um, huge liquid staking protocols like Lido and, and, and Rocket Pool that allow you to send your ETH to them and they run a validator on your behalf. So those companies are actually running thousands of validators. Um, and that means that there's still one entity, right? Rocket Pool is an entity, exists in a jurisdiction. They run their servers in a geographical location. That, that Therefore, they are bound by the laws of that geographical location. I'm guessing most of, of Lido and Rocket Pool's um, nodes run on AWS, right? So it's it, having 10,000 nodes, but 6,000 of them run on AWS is no different than having six nodes and four, four of them are running on AWS. You, you get what right. I'm saying? Right, like if, if me and Pluto were the only people who were validators of Thorchain, and we each had fifty nodes that we both ran, that that wouldn't be very decentralized. Obviously, that would be just effectively just two validators, <laughs> which would yeah, be, which would be a problem. So just so just looking at the number of validators in a network isn't actually a good heuristic of how decentralized is it. It's how many different, it's how many different entities, right? Like at the end of the day. An entity could be an individual who's a very wealthy person who bought a node and just acts in their own interest. And they might even be like a, a chaos actor, right? They might be someone who like wants the, the network to not do well, right? And so they, they could buy up enough rune and like attack it, right? That, but the, the, the network is more decentralized having less people that are like really, like if you get down to it, individually like exerting power over the network, right? So it like at the end of the day, you could have, um, you know, I just, I, I think, I think Thorchain is cool because it, of how like anonymous and, and, and the fact that we don't, we don't know, you know, like I, I have a good idea of like who some of the validators are, but like, we don't know who all of them are. And it's just so interesting when in, in our governance process, we kind of have it set up so that we, you know, we, we propose as devs, we propose, you know, a course of action, like a software update, like a tangible change, we do our best to figure out what the consequences of that change would be. But then we also have a way of having nodes um, voice their opinion on that. They can they can literally like sign a message from their validator. So it's it's still like anonymous encrypted um, um, communication. We know that this node expressed this sentiment. Um, because they encrypt with their private key that message and then they send it to our Discord. So basically, we have a way of communicating with nodes without them doxing themselves. And that communication is essentially us putting out these ADRs and putting out these technical design documents and then having them vote on it. Or even in some cases, having them, you know, say, uh, exist an entirely different alternative altogether. And then we will revise the ADR and then, um, you know, essentially start the vote with that with that new um, with that new with that new option. So I think I think Thorchain has one of the most sophisticated um, um, uh, governance systems and it, 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 it maintains anonymity. It keeps people really accountable to one another. Like you have to come with with good reasoning if you want to like convince these people who you have no idea who they are. It's easy for for me to convince someone, hey, vote for my proposal to you know fund my thing or whatever. If I'm like buddies with them and we both you know we we, we both have been working on this project forever, but like you know we don't nine realms doesn't have um, influence. 
over any validators other than like the ones that we run for our customers. And so we'll, we'll tell our customers, even when Nine Realms does a, we, we proxy all our votes out. So even when, you know, and, and we're running, we're running, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of two dozen validators on the network. Um, but when, when we, when there's a vote on something important, we proxy that out to our customers and we, we tell them, Hey, you know, based on our read of the situation, here's how we think that you should vote. But we've had people vote against what we've, we've told them to as well. So even, even in that, in that sense, you know, the, the, the decentralized nature of the decision-making of the network is, is still disparate and it's spread out and it's not, it's not controlled by any one entity. So in that way, like, I think that the Ethereum, for example, is, has, is not, it doesn't even rank as well as Thorchain in terms of true decentralization. You you still have Consensus and Vitalik who have, you know, a, a, a ton of the wealth and ETH concentrated. And therefore, they, they, they have a, a huge say in how the network is is actually run and, and, and how it's um developed. So I, w- I would love if someone did like formal analyses of these things of, of, of government governance in blockchains from like an extremely objective perspective and had a really really good methodology of of you know presenting the research because i, th- I think I, I find this subject in particular to be fascinating and i yeah, think that it's what... gonna, it's it's going to be the 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 subject of, of a lot of scrutiny and i think way, the way thorchain is setting itself up is positioned to be you know on on the good end of 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 that of that scrutiny yeah that's what they call the, the nakamoto coefficient that's kind of its point is to is to objectively measure the the level of decentralization of any particular blockchain, whether it be Bitcoin or or Thorchain, and Thorchain yeah. does quite well on that on that measurement. Uh, but even the Nakamoto, you know, the Nakamoto coefficient doesn't take into account like human structure, organizations, and structural things. Like the con- like consensus essentially operates as sort of a a, a mafia of sorts, right? Like they have no, it, their- it should. I mean, it, it takes into account, like, you know, Bitcoin pools, for example, like that's considered to be a single entity in its ability to, like, you know, censor things or, or whatever. Oh, it does? I didn't realize. Yeah. Okay. That, that's why the, the Bitcoin store for, like, Nakamoto is, like, 3.8 or something like this. It's the last time I looked or something like this. Just, like, you know, not that – actually, not that great, you know. And I think uh, Thorchain's at, like, 5.6, I think, or something like this. Who does those rankings? Like who? Like who decide? Like who? Who does that research and decides that? I mean, it's not that it's not that hard to, to, to calculate it. I mean, you can just look at the Bitcoin pools. You can look at uh, the number of Thorchain validators, or the number of like unique bond addresses uh, to, to, to figure out how many unique individuals are running those blah blah. blah and, and like you can do all that mathematics. It's, not, it's actually not that hard to. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Big blockchain, man. It's easy to it's easy to create the perception of you know if if I wanted to gain the the system by sending you know bond to a new bond address for every single you know validator I bonded, we could easily do that. So I think I think there's a there's a there's gonna there's a bit of a delta between you know the facts that you can just look up on chain and what the actual reality is and i would love to see more yeah, people we can't, doing research we can't know the actual reality like we have no mechanism to do so so we just go on based on the data we can collect that's the that's the best information we have right mm-hmm. like i don't know does, does like nine realms use the same bond address for all the nodes or does it use different addresses on each node i it's not no it's not it's not it's neither but it yeah there's there's a 
I think there's a way to do that. I know it'd be interesting. If you want to get into the chain analysis, you could look at like the Thor chain free mind, see all of the, you know, the nodes that went to the team, like, sorry, not the rune that went to the team. And then what, you know, whether they actually like use that to bond nodes. I, I feel like this type, this type of in-depth research is in is, in, is, is possible for any chain. But I think that there, you know, our, 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 I'm just saying that our methods of calculating this, this type of stuff are still extremely primitive. And I, I just think it, it'll be the area of a lot of research um, going into the future. Fair enough. Yeah, cool. I, I right. just find I just find it fascinating. Like, like what, like what, con what really controls blockchains at the end of the day? There's there, there's so much, uh, you know, um, like m like misunderstanding of between like the layman of like how decentralized is a network and and the reality of it under the covers. Yeah, I mean, certainly Ethereum probably has some kind of as you as you said earlier a bit of a mafia going on with. Vitalik and the and you know various people who got into the pre market and stuff like that. But um, I mean, at least they have they, they they could at least say, look, you know, it's it's not perfect at the moment, but in, in the long term, uh, we we hope to really kind of um, you know distribute this coin to a lot of people, and there will eventually be a hundred thousand real genuine individuals. Of course, Ethereum has liquid staking, which is a big problem for Ethereum because the uh, the game theory of that is the, the the biggest staking derivative wins, and then it actually all just centralizes again. So I don't know if they've worked out a way to solve that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the big elephant in the room. It's like what, Lido Finance, they're you know they're bound by the by U.S. laws, I believe. If 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 that's correct, that means that you know, like if someone if someone if OFAC came to them and said, hey, you have to like start, you know. Um, um, basically censoring transactions from these addresses like they would more or less be compelled to do that and if two-thirds of the networks oh two-thirds of the node operators on the network have to start you know um, um censoring transactions then you've offend you've effectively censored the network itself right so um i could see how it could be quite easily quite easy to censor um ethereum and yeah and, and, and there are people who you know there are entities that are already attempting to do that like i think that that's something that we see happen but we'll see yeah i think coinbase is actually one of the biggest validators of ethereum and it's also an american company so it's under that same jurisdiction yeah still have a few people requesting for questions let's go to crypto scholar hey everybody on the thor chain team and listening thanks for all the work um, I had a, a couple, maybe a quick point, a quick question, and maybe a follow-up. I think the discussion on decentralization is really great. I think one thing that doesn't get brought up enough about the Thorchain protocol, I brought it up on Nakamoto stream yesterday, actually, was the, the concept of churning and ragnarokking the consensus. I think this is 100% unique in the, in the POS ecosystem and also the fact that it's anonymous uh, delegation and not on-chain delegation. These eliminate, I think, tremendous range of uh, or a tremendous amount of long range attacks on the protocol and i can't see how that this doesn't make it heads and shoulders above all the other proof of stake uh models that are out there 
Um, so this is like a big, big plus for the Thorchain protocol. I think I said it yesterday where I believe that, you know, people or organizations looking to develop sophisticated DeFi protocols will, will implement some kind of similar, similar approach. Um, the other, the other maybe quick question I had is I, just, I think there was a, I came into the call a bit late. I, I know there was discussion on lending, but discussing this, uh, you know, on the Twitter chans here. And I think it's a good concept and I, I understand it. I think there's some, as as you mentioned, I think just a few minutes ago, um, that uh, communicating to the market is a big challenge, as you said, in the blockchain space, because there's such a gap of understanding between the people who are building the tech and the people who are going to end up consuming the tech. And I think there was some confusion I was having around whether or not, you know, proper conventions, proper general accounting principles are being applied to some of the, the lending designs. I just wanted to ask, if there's some kind of, if there's a, you know, maybe a person that's operating as a type of CFO for the project or whether there's an organization that's been engaged to do that, to basically oversee uh, designs and, and pr provide an objective outside opinion as, as to the efficacy and uh, sustainability of, of such a designs like the lending protocol and whether or not it's compliant with the general accounting principles and regulations, et cetera. And there may be a quick follow-up. I, I can take this one. I just, okay. So that, that uh, the idea that like um, that there's any like principles that uh, established accounting principles that can be applied to this, this, um, this, this design is, I mean, I, I, I don't see how that's possible. Like this is, it's so utterly new and innovation innovative that it like that, like, I don't like, you can't read about in a textbook, like how, <laughs> how synthetics and, um, and, and, and lending are supposed to work and how, you know, derived assets, right? Like these are, these are literally, um, concepts that, you know, that, that, that Chad and the core team have like, have literally, you know, sent down from the heavens and blessed us with now nine realms as a, as a somewhat independent, we're still technically like an independent entity, right? We, we, we came onto the scene after Thorchain had already been invented. And so like, we, we, we sort of act as this, like, you know, third party that's that's sitting here and vetting these things like they the, the core team said like hey we you know freaking literally got hit by a lightning bolt of like genius insanity and we you know it's our job as nine realms to essentially go and start picking it apart so there there exists that sort of like semi um i won't call it adversarial but like there there's this sort of like you know that we are the entity that is challenging with with scrutiny some of these ideas and and i think part of the reason why it's like gone back and forth for so many iterations is just like this healthy dialogue that um is being facilitated between our teams and their teams and all of these dialogues happen out in the open in the developer discord so we have all of these you know people ranging from um traditional finance professionals um mathematicians um, there are some, you know, brilliant people that come and jump in, um, and, you know, are, are, are working on contributing to this, this lending design. So I think overall sort of the design is very much out there. It's being vetted by a lot of people. Um, but, you know, I think one of the difficult things in, in this ecosystem is, is getting your designs vetted. Um, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to know, you know, whether there's, there's some, you know, obscure attack vector, or whether some like mathematical genius will be able to figure out how to, you know, ma manipulate um, um, your your protocol to extract value from it. I mean, that's that that's really that, that that's the the nature of the industry that we work in is that 
the people that are smart enough or the people that are quality, qualified enough to actually come up with those those attack vectors and 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 to to do those audits they're not sitting here getting paid you know a, a measly 100k or 200k or however much whatever you think would be a good amount to retain like some official or some you know some some auditor or some some person however much they're getting paid there's money more money for them to be earned hunting protocols like avi does um and so you're never going to be able to 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 pit an organization like that against someone like avi um so really all that we can do is have a robust bug bounty program um where we pay out and you know hopefully there are some white hacker ha white hats out there um that are smart enough to like you know to, to to poke holes in this thing and if they do we'll pay them out um and you know if 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 not that's really that's that that's it's just our confidence and our understanding of the system and our rigorous research collectively as a team and as a community that we have to basically come to the table saying we we believe in this um but i don't think that there's any third party entity that can you know put their seal of approval on something that's like so new and innovative it, it, they just don't exist and and they don't have the the un, the requisite understanding of thorchain uh of thorchain's design to be able to actually um, you know, to, 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 to have a criticism unless they're, they're really close to it. So that's, that's just my, my yeah, Chad, you can I, go off. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say like the person in charge of making sure this all works and such, uh, or reviewing it is, is you crypto scholar. Like it's really, it's, it's Pluto, it's crypto scholar, it's Chad Thoreau, it's, you know, myself, it's like, it's, it's the community's job to, this is why we talk about it publicly. It's why we don't just implement it and, and secretly and just like push it through and forcefully. Like we don't do that, obviously. We talk about it. We, myself and other people, come together with uh, with ideas and concepts of how we can, you know, improve the protocol. And then we float it publicly to the community for everybody to read it, understand it, ask questions, you know, like debate it, whether it be through Twitter or through these spaces or or you know, discords or whatever. And then at the end of it all, we just kind of determine as a group and as a community whether or not this makes sense to do or doesn't or doesn't make sense to do. And that means like we didn't do the original like Thorfi design that we originally floated like ten months ago, just because the markets changed and people's opinions changed on like algo stables, for example. And you know, and we backed off and we did something else and we came up with this new lending design. We came up with the savers design that was more agreeable to the community. In, like that's really the process like every, it's, it's up to the community to validate these things not not so much looking to some third party i don't i don't disagree at all and i think you know, obviously the public discourse is is important um i would push back on one concept though that this is beyond comprehension uh or learning um or is like let's say you know i mean credit default swaps insurance contracts in in all manner of, of complex derivatives have been developed by by many different people over many different years. And I guess one way I would tie this in is that it's, it's, it kind of it goes in line with, let's say, the, the economic uh, security audits as well as, as the technical security audits that I think really helped uh, legitimize the Thorchain project very early on. In addition to just a white paper, there were, there were other, other sources of validation. And I think um, as an opportunity for business, for, for the project and the product is that let's say, and just for a weird, strange argument, let's say the community raises funds. We hire price Waterhouse Cooper, some ancient Tradvi institution that's never going to really understand it, but walking and, and probably really be skeptical 
but walking them through it and getting them to understand it, I think, you know, is an opportunity to, to create tremendous uh, partnerships uh, outside the realm of, let's say, the crypto bubble. And I just think that's an opportunity to, to, get, to get people who are highly skeptical to understand the protocol and, and the, most, the biggest skeptics become the biggest evangelists. So that, that's just my concept around having some kind of, let's say, quote-unquote formal stamp of approval is because I think it helped the project early on and I think in terms of business relationships and, and communications to the market, it could help very well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, for me, like, I don't really care much about like the meat space. Uh, I, I, for me, I just care about um, like just, just thinking with first principles, not not subscribing to an old world view of things, and then starting that from the starting position. I think I, I start from more of a, a first principles perspective of like what would be the the perfect design that you know for lending, for example. And that's what we had, that's what we started lending from the get go from like you know almost a year and a half ago about like zero interest and zero liquidations and that kind of stuff because that's because that would be the most perfect thing that we can come up with and how do we actually accomplish such a thing i don't really care to, to like try to convince tradfi of this design or whatever it's like i'd rather just build it launch it let it prove itself rather than get into these friggin you know hours and hours long debates about what, what that lead to nowhere like I, I mean i was a part of we hired gauntlet in the early days of Thorchain to, to validate the the AMM model and the, the slip-based design and all these things. And they were analyzing it and coming up with all these different graphs and like these simulations and blah, blah, blah. And that took so fucking long. And to be honest, like we would do these meetings like once a week we'd meet with them and they would show us like the progress and all these things. And like, we think this would be a problem because of this X, Y, and Z. And then myself and another person would be like, uh, well, not really, because you didn't really account for this and that and the other thing. And like, oh, yeah, we didn't really think of that. Like, it was, it was constantly just trying to, like, curve them back onto the road because they just weren't even fully understanding some aspects of the design, even themselves after, uh, you know, a year of conversations and whatnot. It just became just, like, a huge time suck. And I, honestly, it, was, it ended up just not providing much value in the end of it all. Um, so for me, I'm just like, I just want to, you know, think about it, let it, out in the world people can challenge it ask me questions tell me why i'm wrong and if i'm wrong then explain it to me and I'm, yeah, maybe i am wrong like you know can try something else and if but like in the end we want we, we built something we, we designed something i think we're very proud of or we're very bullish on and we want to try it and put it on the world and see if it works see if it floats and if it doesn't then we'll go back to the drawing board and if it does then we revolutionize lending in a significant way well there's you know it's it's 100 percent agree with that also because of course it is it is revolutionary and this this has never been done it's, it's a holy grail achievement but there's also a a, a distribution problem right? just because we build it doesn't mean they're going to come and part of that is communications and general accounting principles in mathematics is a thousand year old field going pre abacus. So I don't I don't right, necessarily I, think we should just say we don't want to figure out a way to communicate to people who come from you know understanding finance in the way it's been understood for many, many centuries. And when there may be it just is a it is a matter of coming up with a better way of communicating the exact same mechanism, right? But I don't want to go to those tradfi people and try to explain to them what it is that I'm trying to do or what. Chad, it's not it's not your job. It's not your job to go to those people and to tell them and to explain it to them, right? And I think I think this is an incredibly productive conversation. But I think it's important to remember 
who who is responsible to different people in in this in in and you can think of it sort of like I'm not going to say as a pyramid. You can think of it. Don't think about it as anything. Okay, right? There's there's different people that have different um that have different essentially responsibility to different people in this network, right? The developers are responsible to the protocol and to the to, to the node operators specifically because the node operators are the ones that run the run the network itself, provide the security, right? So 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 essentially, this is a this is a dialogue between the developers, um, the community, and the node operators to decide what's best for the protocol itself. And so right. that, 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 is a, that is a process that we've seen works really well. And then from there, it's the responsibility of people who have a vested interest in ThorChain itself. You know, you, you could call them bag holders, you could call them um, early adopters, you could call them community members, whatever you wanna call that group of people, it's their responsibility if they wanna receive traction to ThorChain and to these ideas and, and get people to start using them to get builders of product in the community on board with those concepts, to get the Thor swaps of the world, to get the, you know, the Coinbase's, the, the, the trust wallets, to get all the people who would actually potentially take this idea and present it to their users. It's our job to go in and communicate that to them. And so I think, I think what Crypto Scholars is saying, is pointing out here is, is, is super important, is that we have to have a line of communication to people to explain to them across all gamuts of industry, across the crypto ecosystem, as well as the TradFi ecosystem. If we really truly want adoption for this, it's important that we be able to go out and have those conversations. But I think it's, it's important to delineate between the building of features and then the propagation of features. And, and, and those are, I think, fundamentally different um, 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 roles that, that, are, that need to be played. So I think that, I think that like, you know, from the perspective of Chad as a, of a, as a developer, yes, I don't, I get that you don't need to, to have those conversations. Like you, you should focus on like, you know, uh, uh, proving it to yourself and proving it out to us because, you know, realistically, we're the ones that are going to have to go out into the ecosystem and explain to all these people why they should build a lending product on top of it. Right. But uh, so, so I, I guess I'm just saying it, it, it is good to not think that it's like the protocol's job or the, or the core dev's job or even Nine Realms' job to like try to solve all of these problems, um, but there's going to be different people sort of in the in 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 the conversation whose job it is to go out and do that. And so it's just it's just important to have the the conversations. And I think that we do we're doing a good job of it. Yeah, but one, one of the important but one of the important things about DeFi what makes it so successful is it allows people to experiment and innovate without worrying about fucking crazy amounts of regulation and, and, and like you know red tape to cut through and so no, i would never suggest that you listen to them <laughs> i would never suggest you listen to any trad five people and what to develop let me just give you an example want, right i don't want to talk to those people and, and i'm just going to build what i want to build and get the community to, to, to hopefully you, agree to you don't to need to it. yeah and I, you and then, don't need to and talk then, to them and then later on once the things actually launch and you can have all this data like you, you can't argue with the actual data. You can't argue with fucking reality. And if it's actually working, then it's actually working. I okay. I just, no I'll, I'll make a quick comment because the, the conversation goes a little bit off the rails as to what I was trying to communicate. I want to give you just a little example. Okay. So I was a, one of the original Bitcoin meetup founders in North America for a group back in 2011. And one of the absolute most just tragically frustrating endeavors to do was to talk to people about Bitcoin in 2011, 2012, 2013. And one of the first things you have to explain to them is they're not really coins, 
right? You're not sending money from your device to another device or signing a transaction and you're registering that transaction in a ledger. That's not a system of coinage. But if the original developers of Bitcoin had sat down and just figured out that it was a, just a simple convention challenge, I guarantee you, I and many other advocates for Bitcoin like 10 years ago would have been able to get tremendous more transaction or traction for the concept just by alleviating that simple conventional misunderstanding that created a tragic barrier to adoption. And I think really sabotaged the original first-gen protocols tremendously. And I would never suggest to a developer, I'm a developer, I'm an engineer, I know, I would never listen to an accountant or, how, or, or somebody outside of tech on how to design an actual tech feature. But in terms of communicating that to the market, I think that's where we have to just understand that there are people out there who have no clue what is going on with this tech. And, and the adoption of the blockchain technology in the broader space is all about communications. And that's just my only suggestion. Yep. Like we just and take, it, a, take our... a step back and think is like, how do we communicate to like parents who have mortgages or college students coming out of college, you know, what this is really about and using, you know, just standard conventions and, and, and means of communication can tremendously eliminate a lot of the barriers to adoption. Yep. Thanks, Crypto Scholar. And uh, that's that's one of my personal goals and that's kind of what, what we do on these spaces trying to communicate at, with with people about what Thorchain offers and you know we, we do that we do this very often going from we do we do these spaces like we did yesterday uh like we, we had a great space just talking about Thorchain from like the ground up like the, ba- the the fundamentals the basics of it and then uh you know we have these more in-depth spaces where we go into q a's about things that aren't currently released discussing it debating it and also adding on to a little bit of what pluto said earlier uh can, I, can, I, just, for... can I just jump in real quick i, I just want to yeah. say I, I completely agree with you crypto scholar i think that, that it's so important how we communicate and 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 how we influence the public perception of the products that we're building and i would i would personally take you up on that if you if you wanted to sit down with uh, somebody from with me and someone from my team and someone from you know Price Waterhouse Cooper, I would absolutely take the time to explain to them all of this stuff and 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 work with them. I think that I I I, I you know it's like it's like it's like not everyone wants to do that, but I'm, I'm I think that there are, you'll find that there are people on this project who who would be interested in having those conversations because I think there is a lot of wisdom that we can be we can gain from from TradFi and from from people who have you know been working in capital markets for you know decades. Can yeah, I'm happy something? to engage on that. I'll follow up after. Thanks everybody uh, for allowing me to speak. Thanks to the team. Keep up all your hard work. Can I add something? Thank you, man. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Muna. Yeah, um, I just want to like add something to the earlier conversation. And I totally kind of like agree with um, Crypto Scholar and Pluto because um, I also kind of like get where Chad is coming from because he's a developer. And there's kind of like something different about the ThorChain protocol in the sense that something else is meant to be built on top of it. You know, it's like the community is kind of like different in the sense that you also need developers but at the same time, you kind of like need TradFi finance people, business people who are going to like sort of like fund that. You know, it's like ThorChain, yes, is decentralized. But like, for example, from my point of view, I'm not American and 
the decentralization for me just means that I can build something centralized in my country on top of it. So maybe everything isn't going to be decentralized in that sense. Maybe you kind of like need TradFi people. And probably the best way to get TradFi people is to get them to like read something from PricewaterhouseCoopers or some other accounting firm. I don't know if you guys kind of like get what I mean. I just want to like to put that out there. Dude, I think I think you're I think you're totally right. I think that some of the be- the, the 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 biggest adoption of Thorchain could be from centralized entities or from people that are building on top of it to create some you know obscure. Uh, they they want to be able to swap from Ethereum or whatever to like their random um, you know whatever like Kenya coin to do like micro loans to African farmers, right? Like some someone's going to come up with something. And it doesn't have to be completely uh, decentralized in order to be compatible with the ethos of cryptocurrency. And it can leverage decentralized protocols like Thorchain to provide benefit, to, to create human flourishing. But like, yeah, I think, I think it's completely right. I think that, yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think that the line just, just, just get blurred when it comes to, um, you know, like who's actually going to be the users that we need to communicate to and to convince to adopt this thing. Um, I I really do think that the users aren't going to be like normal people. It's probably going to be organizations or most likely startups. I don't know if you get like probably not just developers or people already in the crypto um, space. Because like watching like um, Chad's video about ThorFi, he was talking about how you can get a loan with it, how you can buy a car with it. Like you don't necessarily need to be into crypto to kind of like build something that leverages Thorchain to be able to deliver that to people. But you'll probably only do that if you kind of like source some accounting report or like source something in mainstream media. And I think we should probably like, I don't know, find a way to like market more like mainstream TradFi people to get on this. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think that will come over time as people build more trust in, in Thorchain protocol. And I, I think it, like personally, I think it'll take years for people to be able to know that they can trust Thorchain to be able to say, oh yeah, I'm going to get this 0%, uh, this, this no interest, uh, no expiration, no liquidation loan, and know that their collateral will forever be safe with it and take a long-term loan out on it. Like, like a, lot, a lot of these things really do just take time. And we're, you know, we're making all the connections that, that need to be made in the industry in you know, in the, in the TradFi world and in the, and in the, the DeFi space to, to make that happen. So the, the seeds are, are all being planted and it takes a while for these plants to grow, but we're getting there. Thanks, Muna. Let's go through the, just the speakers that are on the stage and then uh, that'll be it. So let's go to uh, Juggernaut. Hey. Hey everyone can you hear me yep yeah i'm uh, just talking for a friend five years old and so he's uh, ed5 mod uh, just a remark about uh, crypto scholars uh, discussion i agree of a lot of things that one thing is seems important for me that there are different categories of users. Uh, 
when you use your visa, you don't want to uh, know how it works. You just want to see it work, and that's all. For example, uh, the, when you want to go deeper, it's yourself. You have to go deeper. Okay. Uh, I uh, just want to to uh, to to go uh, one uh, mid hour before. I believe that. Pluto has touched a very important point earlier. A while ago, Torchain asked an absurd but relevant question on Twitter. Why TVL will never reach 1,000, $100 billion? The answer is simple. It means $1 billion per node. So the network internally managed by billionaires, which is not an option. What I mean is that there is an extra, extraordinary chance. Uh, there is time, a lot, to if, update. If, if, if the network is managed by 100 billionaires who are all aligned with the ESO, ethos of open, transparent, decentralized finance, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what I meant is that we got a chance, uh, an extraordinary chance. Uh, there is time, a lot, to update Cosmos SDK, Tendermint, and upgrade machine. I don't know if it's uh, what is first necessary. There is certainly a way to do better. This is also valid for Torlikes. Of course, Maya protocol first. I'm talking about the future, of course, not about communism yep. or anything yep. else. We, we, already, we already discussed um, the topic of running more than 100 validators today. Just, yeah. Yeah, we don't have to, re, we don't have to re, revisit that subject again. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks. You can go back and listen to the recording and it's all there. And also there was discussion on the space yesterday uh, from that. So when, when this gets uploaded to YouTube later with transcripts, you can just like like search for the word and just scroll through and go exactly to, to where we're talking about validators, if, if that helps you. And uh, let's get last question from Patrick. Hey. Hey, thanks again for having me on uh, twice up here. Um, <clears throat> oops, didn't mean to put my hand up, sorry. Um, um, so I just wanted to mention, actually, it's not, not really a question. I guess it's kind of a question, a little bit of a comment. One of the things I've been thinking about is just how important Bitcoin as an asset is to the ThorChain network. It's one of the things that actually attracted me to, to the design of the network and in general, just seeing a DeFi product where uh, there's so much liquidity in Bitcoin makes me feel, um, you know, I have more trust in, in, the, in a platform that's building around Bitcoin. And I, because I see Bitcoin as being money, it's really important that uh, you know we get as much Bitcoin liquidity into Thorchain, and so Thorchain having that that native Bitcoin liquidity is obviously set it apart from from everybody else. Uh, I see this as a huge asset. So I guess I just wanted to mention earlier there was discussion about adding more chains. The only thing I would say is I think you know looking into adding Bitcoin side chains like Rootstock and Liquid, even though they don't have a tremendous amount of adoption yet. Um, 
I think it's important because it exposes, um, you know, adding chains like that means you bring in that Bitcoin liquidity anyways, uh, and you bring in more sort of like Bitcoin ecosystem. And I just think that's going to be really important for the future. So you can continue to bring, you know, to build around the Bitcoin ecosystem as much as possible. So bring in RBTC, uh, LBTC. And then if you bring in RBTC, that gives you access to sort of the other projects happening on Rootstock, like Sovereign and Zero USD uh, stablecoin. So anyway, just wanted to mention that. Um, appreciate you guys are doing and also kind of curious on your thoughts around um, on that as well if anyone has thoughts around um, you know liquid or rootstock BTC um, or even like lightning integration somehow I was thinking about lightning but I couldn't figure out how to make how to make that work but just curious thanks I mean you can't get lightning to work um, Torchy can interact with any layer one or layer two or, or whatever that's definitely, definitely certainly possible um, the problem, I think, with, with, with Sovereign and Rootstock and, and Lightning and all these things is that, that the total amount of value that they have is relatively small. And so even if we were to integrate with, like, Rootstock, for example, I think, like, last time I looked, they, they had, like, I think it was, like, 1,000 or 2,000 Bitcoin total in the entire network, which is, you know, about twice what, what ThorChain was at the same time and were earlier and younger than they are. Like, like at some point, it's... To me, it's almost inevitable that ThorChain will have more Bitcoin in ThorChain than any other uh, decentralized product, or maybe you know, out there more more so than Rootstock and and Sovereign and and like Lightning Network and all these things, Liquid Network, all these things. And so at that point, it's like, is it really valuable to connect with the Lightning Network when how much Bitcoin, more Bitcoin can be added to the network? Well, maybe not that much. So then it just becomes like a like an, a like a root cause a root analysis of like what is the ROI here? How much more value can we get put into the network if we uh, if we integrate with like Light Network or, or Liquid Network or whatever? Well, that's true. And the only reason I bring that up is because if Torchain is that successful, then you guys could be incredibly important to the success of those side chains as well. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe we'll do it. Like I don't know. Like that's up to the community to decide. I, I know like. Pluto was talking earlier about like he's a little bit, little bit um, defensive towards you know adding new, new chains uh, or layer one or layer twos in general. Um, for the for the most part, that's true, and and so like that's that just becomes like a community debate of like what are the things we want to interface with? Is it rootstock? Is it sovereign? Is it you know it, um, it, like atrium or whatever it's called? Um, uh, like all these other things like it just, it just becomes a, a community debate while the room price is relatively small like right now like there's actually been a big push in the validators to get off of aws and DigitalOcean because it's just so expensive to run infrastructure there and there's been a big push lately of a lot of nodes moving from cloud-based validators to becoming bare metal because bare metal is just like tons and tons tons cheaper and becomes much more like you know economical for you to run a validator as bare metal than it is on aws so, like, while the room price is small, you're probably not going to see us adding a lot of chains because it's going to be too too expensive to be an operator. You just want to be operating in profit. But maybe in five years or something like this, when the room price is, you know, considerably higher than it is now, then we can talk about adding arbitrary chains like Lightning Network and that kind of stuff. That's up for a future community to to to, to discuss and debate and make a determination on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think like it'd be a, super cool to see that. Uh, I know, I know, you're working, you're, you're thinking about that a lot, Pluto too, with with Lightning Network. Like, I, I think that the further and more entrenched we can 
we can be into the whole Bitcoin space, just the, the better that is for, for ThorChain. Because yeah, right now, like how many Bitcoiners are out there talking about, I mean, not, not that there's zero, because there certainly are a, a good number of, of Bitcoiners that, that know and probably use ThorChain and are probably pooling on ThorChain and, and making swaps there. But, uh, you know, it, it just takes that uh that community that broader community adoption to to be part of the like the whole bitcoin ecosystem and i and L- lightning somehow is like a, a core like pillar of that bitcoin ecosystem even though it's you know much much more centralized and you know has has its own problems and things but i would love to see it on, on thorchain one day like maybe that's the play that like lightning won't offer much economic value to the thorchain network but it would offer marketing value and so by adding light network you know it, we become more you know uh, in the minds of Bitcoiners, in some sense. maybe that's the play. Like I don't know. That's part of the debate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and so far we've the strategy we've taken with like adding new chains has largely just been like, what do we think is going to be successful? And so you know, although we try to look at things like, um, you know, like we look at AVAX and like the result of adding AVAX has been pretty underwhelming, um, and. You know, there's 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 probably some reasons for that, but I think it's just beca- because like we didn't really have enough um, like hype from within their community or like or like awareness. Like they didn't really do much to like even talk about kind of like what what we were doing for them. And so, um, you know, like I guess they just didn't care about having access to native BTC or the entire Cosmos ecosystem. Um, whatever the case, like. There's going to be certain like there's going to be certain times when yeah adding a new chain is not just like a purely economical decision when it when it could be you know that just like our our strategies are sorry our our communities are really well aligned with them and it, it just seems like a natural synergy and they have access to a user base that you know that would you know bring a lot of new users to uh, to the to the ecosystem I think we also need to you know start thinking but more like. Um, more like scientifically about like uh, how we like if we're going to remove chains, for example, I think there's some chains right now that aren't even like their fees um, that they're, they're not even like breaking even on the, 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 the amount of fees attributable to the, the pool that is received by node operators does not equal the amount of expenditure that they run to, to, to run the chains every month, you know, in the cloud. And so like there's there's some there's some chains that are just like straight up losing money for everyone. It's losing money for the network because we're paying block rewards into the pools and that's you know drawing down the reserve faster that that could be used to juice rewards on other pools um and you know the infrastructure to to run those isn't even worth like the fees that's being that are resulting from them. So I think I think we just need to get a little bit smarter about deciding what chains to add to the network. Yeah, that's, that's actually a problem that's been over the years, right? All coin exchanges, they add tokens and eventually they have to delist them, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've been here long enough, you've seen a lot of altcoins pumped and even to the top 10. And today, top 10 coins are not even listed on exchanges anymore that were top 10 seven or eight years ago. And so, yeah, that's why I do see, you know, that's why I guess anything that brings in more Bitcoin liquidity is exciting to me because Bitcoin's always been the top dog, whether that's RBTC or liquid BTC or brings it through lightning, it's always going to be around. So you add those things, they're never going away. Thanks. I do see, though, like things like AVAX, for example, that maybe we didn't see as much adoption as we would have liked to see. Like, I do see some like chains like that being kind of like loading the spring. And so like once ThorChain kind of has its moment in the sun and it, you know, it's getting talked about a lot and, and kind of like Terra did or, or Solana did and like the last bull cycle, 
that it just we have all these springs that are just loaded that like once we kind of hit that kind of um, inflection point and that kind of and we kind of take off as a as a rocket in some sense that like all those chains that are currently you know losing money on as Pluto was saying will become you know very profitable like you know even something like Lightning or, or Bitcoin Cash like in that hypothetical scenario would would, would all of a sudden become um, profitable right and so it's it's not so much that like it doesn't matter so much to me if we get the economic value like on day one although obviously that's obviously much better uh, it is possible that those things break out like downstream once we're more more popular as a network cool guys great space today thanks everyone for coming on this will be on youtube in a couple hours and yeah we'll have more spaces talking about lending uh so if you didn't get to ask a question today sorry about that and we'll have plenty more spaces in the future so just keep an eye on the twitter and uh, you'll see when new spaces are coming out. We'll do, we'll do things on Discord and here on, on Twitter. Uh, other than that, any, any closing thoughts, guys? That's, that's it for me. I say everybody just keep keep uh, um, reading about lending and, and like studying it and ask me questions on Twitter or jump on the Discord or whatever. I'm happy to answer as many questions as I possibly can to get, make sure that our, our community is informed and educated on this topic as much as possible. So keep on like poking at it and uh, asking questions and the, the better you understand it, the, the better it is for the community for sure. Wow, Chad, that's quite a, that's quite a departure from your, your, your usual attitude. What do we do? Ship is it. it. <laughs> no, I can't believe you just said we should, we should, I can't believe you just said we should read and like review things. I've always been that way. I've always explained every major feature that, 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 that came that came out. I think with you, I always tell you to ship it because you and the rest of the Nine Realms team is, is you know, uh, you know, asking, uh, hesitant and, and then like just dragging your feet sometimes and it's a little bit frustrating at times. But I'm just like, come on, guys. <laughs> We've been talking about this for three fucking months now. I mean, like, come on, let's just move forward here. <laughs> Well, you have you have to. We are us smooth brains need some extra time to uh, to 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 get hit by the lightning bolt. This, but when it this hits, this is what literally happens every time we have a new feature on Thorchain. The when it hits, it hits, man. Nine realms is like immediately they're like against it, whether it be savers or lending or like synths or any of these things. And then I had to fly out to fucking Denver or fly out to Austin and sit in a room for nine fucking hours and explain this shit. To ad nauseum to the, the to the nine realms team, and then they finally understand it, and they finally get it, and they finally see the value, and see why where it it's works. Just, it's just Chad. It's just a smoke screen because we like hanging out with you so much. We want to we want to see you more. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'll take that as a compliment, I suppose. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still mad we didn't do pool spaces, guys. Yeah. We were gonna do it we were gonna do a, a, a live stream from, from a, inside of a pool, but then Chad, we woke up and we were so pumped to do it and Chad literally like left a note on the dresser and was like, See you later. <laughs> Left. Yeah, we, and we were, we were gonna like get masks at the store so everybody could like you know keep their their non, non keep their doc non doc status and just like party in the pool. And then we had this like there's a super hot girl that was like there was like managing the house or whatever I can't remember her name whatever. <laughs> and we were and we were gonna tell everybody that I was Lena. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, dude. Like, Who's the hot chick in the background? We we're like, that's fucking Lena. <laughs> dude, that would have been the best troll oh ever. My that would have been so I had hilarious. A, I had such a sweet unicorn pool floaty picked out for that too. Oh, dude, that would have been so epic. I would have like, I'm so sorry we didn't actually able to put it together because I was just, I was laughing my ass off so fucking hard. Hey, idea. That that was Pool Spaces V1. We need to get to Pool Spaces V8 before we ship it. So it's <laughs> it's gonna be a little while. Yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Later. Always Thanks, a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Great space. Peace.